I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C. We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take D.C. on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Across Generations, where the voices of Black women unite. I'm your host, Tiffany Cross. Tiffany Cross. Join me and be a part of sisterhood, friendship, wisdom, and laughter. We gather a seasoned elder, myself as the middle generation, and a vibrant young soul for engaging intergenerational conversations, prepare to engage or hear perspectives that literally no one else has had. Listen to Across Generations podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, warmer from Evo! Welcome to Me Las Vegas for Cusco Soups with myself, Greg Hoops Peterson, now part of the Beeson Family Podcast. We've got a great podcast for you. Joining me in segment number two, we're going to have Rob Donaldson aboard. He does great work with his show slash podcast, Rob's Best Best Show, and we're going to be chatting with him about a little bit of what we saw from Saturday and something I feel like I don't do enough on this podcast with is just taking a look at sort of the mentality that you have as a sports better, how important it is to be just sort of staying even keel during good times, during bad times, not getting too high, not getting too low. We're going to be talking about that as myself and Rob have been having very much up and down rides this college basketball season. Like I had a rough day on Saturday, I'll be completely honest with you. And I think that it is just so important to talk a little bit about that and on top that certainly we're going to be taking a look at the games that we've got for this Sunday as well. We're going to be trying to dive into as many angles as possible there. And then in the final segment, going to get you guys picks and analysis on every game on the betting board for this college basketball Sunday as we hit some bank shots. If you do have a question, comment, segment idea, what have you for this podcast, do have one of two ways to be out for those in. First one is by Twitter slash X timeline at GNN underscore D1. Keep in mind, letters DM, they mean does not matter. So as per usual, please just send these into the timeline. Other ways, find an Apple podcast review. If you rate this podcast five stars, it is very much appreciated. And then from there, you're able to fire on whatever you'd like to hear on this podcast via that five-star review. Did not get in any Twitter slash X questions today, and we've got a lot of games to recap from this most recent college basketball Saturday. As It was a whopper. It was one that I felt like I had quite a few surprises along the way. So how about if we dive in, take a look at these teams, try to find some trends, and try to get to know them a little bit better. A games from yesterday is Greg buzzing about. Here is the rowdy recap. While we will be seeing the top cover team in all of college basketball on Sunday, that would be Minnesota, 
the number two cover eight team, they were able to get the job done once again. That is out there in the Southland, Texas A&M, Corpus Christi. They were a slight underdog against Lamar, 75-61. to They get the W. Not only is this Corpus Christi team one of your best teams against the spread, they're also one of the best teams of the under as well. They're now 15 unders, 7 overs, and a push. So they have really been able to make you money with regards to those unders and with regards to covering the spread as for Corpus Christi, they go 16-20 of 20 at the free throw line. Lamar, 19-31 of 31 at the charity stripe while going 2-17 of 17 from 3. Corpus Christi doing a really good job locking down from 3. Won the rebound battle by a count of 42-31. to 31. They actually did lose a turnover battle, but all in all, very good performance here as they got 17 big points out of Jordan Roberts to be able to propel them to victory. And I was mentioning the unders. Well, your top under team in all of college basketball, that would be Western Illinois. They did play an over, so that was a little bit of an outlier. Eastern Illinois, Western Illinois, they were really your top two under teams in all of college basketball going into the weekend. And both of these teams did play overs on Saturday with Tennessee Tech taking down Eastern Illinois by kind of 75 to 67. You had a total on that game more around about a 133 and a half. And then Western Illinois, they are able to knock off Southern Indiana by a count of 82 to 76. This was a closing total that was more in that high 130s, low 140s sort of range. So both of those teams do fly over the total. But we've got to take a look at the ranked teams before we take a look at some of the other specials that we've got in college basketball. And we did see Houston in overtime get it done against Baylor. This by a count of 82 to 76. It's been a little bit of an up and down year from a betting perspective from Houston. But Houston, just in terms of a straight up perspective, this team has been an absolute bulldozer. And Baylor actually falls a 15-9 and 2 against the spread. It looked like Baylor was really going to get blown out of this game. They go down 16 points in the late first half. Houston really had control throughout, but they were able to force overtime as for Baylor, they do go 10 of 25 for three, while Houston was just 6 of 21 from distance. But Houston, they win the turnover battle by kind of 19 to 8. You did actually have Baylor win the rebound battle with having 17 points, 13 rebounds out of jail and bridges. But all in all, another quality showing from Houston and another quality showing from North Carolina. They're able to take down Virginia by a count of 54 to 44, and this is not great for Virginia's offense. In the last three games, they have not broken the 60 point plateau. Yeah, that's relatively rough, and they have scored more than 66 points just once this month as North Carolina just put these guys in handcuffs. For Virginia, they shoot 27.5% from the floor. 2 of 14 from 3 far range. Now, North Carolina, they themselves shoot about 32% from the floor, but they did a nice job winning the rebound battle 43-39. to 39. Armando Baycoat along with Harrison Ingram, they combined for 23 rebounds, 17 points between the two of them as Cormac Ryan was your top scorer in this game, 18 points, but a quality win for a North Carolina team that's out 16-11 and 11 against the spread, and your best cover team out there in the ACC is actually Pittsburgh, and Pittsburgh got it done once again against Virginia. 79-64 to 64 the final. Pittsburgh is actually actually been a relatively solid team to the under as well. This one just barely creeps over the closing total of 142.5 as for Virginia Tech. They go just 3 of 20 from 3 par range, so not a good day for the great state of Virginia. Meanwhile, Zach Austin, 14 rebounds, 5 blocks, 9 points for Pittsburgh, while Blake Hinson, he just continues to be a bucket getter. He was able to supply the team with 22 points, so nice good win there. Good win for Arizona, although there are some places that add this line up as high as 17. A lot of places close this more around to 16 and a half. They just miss out on a cover as for Arizona, they were able to run and hide 
with this one. 91 to 75, the final. This was never really too much of a game as for Washington, they go 9 of 30 from three par inch. Nate Calmezzi, welcome back. He was able to give the team 15 points off the bench, but for Arizona, Caleb Bluff, he just continues to be oh so terrific. 28 points. And then Umar Ball, 14 points. 14 boards. So Arizona, after they take that loss to Washington State, they're able to pick themselves up. And speaking of Washington State, not so great of a performance for them. Arizona State apparently carried the momentum that they had from Thursday where they were able to force overtime into what they were able to do on Saturday. As Arizona State, they get the job done by kind of 73-61. to 61. By the way, Arizona now 17-10 and 10 against the spread after that. And Washington State just 15-13 and 13 against the spread. So they've been a pretty indifferent team to making you money for Washington State. Just a ghastly performance from 3 point range. 3 of 18 from distance. Meanwhile, Arizona State... Team has been rough with her three-point shooting all season long. Six of 14 from the outside with Frankie Collins. 14 points, six boards, three assists. He was able to do a nice job to be able to get Arizona State that win. Also being able to get a big win out there in the top 25. How about South Carolina? They go on the road. They win by a count of 72 to 59. And this South Carolina team has been one of the most profitable in all of college basketball. Now 19 and 8 against the spread. For Ole Miss, they've been priding themselves on three-point shooting all season long. Three of 16 from distance. I believe that Allen Flanagan threw a little bit of a cheap shot in this one. Ole Miss goes 20 of 32 from the free throw line. And for South Carolina, they were able to get 17 points out of the Mack truck, B.J. Mack to be able to get them to the window. So that was a nice win. Fortunately, our DK Network right a pick took a loss. I had the under in Illinois versus Iowa. It's a day that I want to forget in the circuit challenge, and those days do happen. I went from being 11-4 and in three weeks to posting up a nice hearty 0-5. It does happen to the best of us. Trust me, if you have not had a bad day of sports betting, you have not bet enough sports in general. So that's something that hopefully we can move past. But that said, Illinois, 95-85. to They're able to get it done in this one as Coleman Hawkins had 30 points, five uh, steals, five assists for Illinois. They are able to win the rebound battle 38-32, to unfortunately, for the under. This was costed by the fact that these two teams went a combined 44-55 of 55 at the free throw line, so that was a little bit brutal. Meanwhile, for Iowa, they go just 4-12 of 12 from three-point range, but they did have Mr. Dix, Josh Dix, be able to provide the team with 20 points in that one. And then you did see Central Florida at home be able to get it done against Texas Tech, this by a count of 75-61. to 61. It's been a Texas Tech team that's been a little bit all over the place this season. Meanwhile, for Central Florida, they've been a tough customer at home. Away from home, not necessarily so terrific, but this Central Florida team was really able to separate late as Darius Johnson was able to chip in their 16 points at Texas Tech. It's really been more of an offense-oriented team. They go just 8 of 28 from three-point range. Meanwhile, Central Florida, how about a nice hearty 6 of 12 three-point shooting expose from them? And how about this shooting expose? Kentucky, one of your best over teams in all of college basketball. 117 to 95 the final. They reach 101 points with about eight minutes and change remaining in the second half. Just absolutely ridiculous. Alabama, 20 overs to 7 unders as far this season. Kentucky, 19 overs to just 8 unders. And by the way, going back to Illinois, they have now played 19 overs to 8 unders. I believe that they have played 12 out of their last 14 games to the over in the case of Illinois. But for Kentucky, they go from 3 point inch 13 to 24. They shoot 63% 
from the floor. You were able to get 28 points out of Justin Edwards, who's been averaging about 8 points per contest as far this season. You had off the bench, Big Z provide 18 points. Robert Dillingham at 16 points, and for Alabama, they lose this game by 22 points while shooting 56% from floor, 6 of 17 from 3-point range, but they got just not a lot with regards to their defense, and they did turn the ball for 16 times, so that was harebrained, and that was crazy. Auburn has been a team that's been able to cover north of 60% in their games, and they get this one done against Georgia, 97-76, as they go 14-26 of 26 from 3-point range. Georgia did go 25 of 31 at the charity stripe, but not a good showing here for Georgia as you did have Noah Thomason provide 18 points, but for Auburn, how about G&I Broom cleaning up with 16 points, 13 rebounds, and Chad Baker-Mazzara, 25 big points out of him. So Auburn was able to put a hurting on their opponent. Connecticut, they were able to do a very nice job as well after they had taken a loss a little bit earlier in the week. They took out their frustrations on Villanova, being able to get the job done 78-54. to UConn now 17-11 and against the spread, and we'll get to DePaul in a second. They are not that. They are actually the opposite at 9-17-1 against the spread, but Villanova just could not hit a shot. 3 of 24 from 3 par range. Eric Dixon, he goes 2 of 8 from 3 par range. That means that the rest of the team, they went a good hardy 1 of 16 from 3 par range. Meanwhile, for UConn, they go 20 of 22 at the free throw line. UConn was able to do a good job of winning the battle on the glass as well. 46 of 32. Tristan Noon, triple-double. 10 points, 10 assists, 16 rebounds out of him. So Villanova, they just got completely lambasted there. And we do have to mention the fact that DePaul and Georgetown did play a game. It was a pretty sad game. And hey, you know what? DePaul was able to get a cover. They got down early in this game. They were down double figures. They worked their way back, but they fall in the end 77 to 76 as for DePaul. They go 8 of 22 from three point range. They've got Chico Carter, their top scorer back in the fold, but he was the only starter that scored fewer than 15 points. Meanwhile, it was the Jaden Epps show for Georgetown. 33 points as Georgetown now 11 and 16 against the spread. DePaul once again 9, 17, and 1 against the spread. So that was pretty ghastly, but what has been pretty solid as well has been a team in Seton Hall who's been able to do a relatively solid job here down the stretch. 76 to 64. They win. They cover against Butler. This was really a wire-to-wire job for them as Butler does go 12 of 33 from three-point range, but seeing all, they were able to have Kadari Richmond and Dre Javis combined for 41 points, so they were able to get that one in. In terms of your other top 25 teams, St. Mary's just continues to pound teams. 88 to 62. They just completely mollywop San Diego as they were really able to separate in the second half. First half, it was actually somewhat snug, and then you had that big run in the second half from St. Mary's to be able to separate as they go 11 to 24 from three, shoot 56% from the floor, and they win the rebound battle by a count of 37 to 28. So they've been really able to pick things up after the rough start to the season, and now all of a sudden, they find themselves back at 15 and 13 against the spread. It's actually been Santa Clara, though, who's been your best cover team out there in the WCC. They lose, but they were able to get a cover against Gonzaga. 94-81, to 81, the final. They were about a 15.5-point underdog as both of these teams were just flat-out hitting shots. Santa Clara, 11-27 to 27 from 3-point range, 8-16 of 16 for Gonzaga. Nolan Hickman going 5-7 of seven from 3, so that's a good sign for the Bulldogs. They were able to get the job done there, and speaking of being able to get the job done, how about this just absolutely amazing that San Diego State was able to put on Fresno State. 73-41 the final. I mean, this game was at one point 36 to 10 
late in the first half. So this was about as thorough of domination as it gets. Fresno State shoots 24.5% from the floor. And San Diego State wins this game by 32 points while going 8 of 27 from three points. They won the turnover battle 7 to 5. They won the rebound battle 52 to 34. Just. Not a good effort here for Fresno State ever since Eduardo Andre 3000 has been out of the fold. That's been rough and talk about rough. New Mexico as about a 19 to a 20 point favorite at home. They lose to Air Force and New Mexico has actually been a really good cover team. They're now 17 to 10 against the spread. 78 to 77 the final for New Mexico. They shoot just 3 of 16 from 3 par range and then you had Air Force go 11 of 25 from 3. If you had this money line you were paying for the drinks on Saturday. So Lee says for New Mexico, you did have your trio of guards actually have a relatively solid performance on Vidente, Javal Mashford Jr. They combined for 30 points, and then you did have Jalen Ellis. He was really the weak link of the three. He only had eight points, but Nelly Jr. Joseph, 17 points, nine rebounds, but that's said for New Mexico. Even though they won the rebound battle 40-25, to they lost the turnover battle, and they just could not stop Air Force from three-point and UNLV. They were able to get a win over a ranked team, and UNLV is out 15-9 against the spread. This is for a team that lost by 32 points at home earlier in the season to Air Force themselves. 66-60 the final. Ever since that Gasly loss, UNLV has been a different team. They win the rebound battle 34-27. 23 big points out of really one of the most underrated freshmen in all of college basketball. Deaton Thomas Jr. He was able to do a nice job of chipping in their six boards as well. So that was a relatively quality win. And Boise State, they've been able to make you some money recently. They win. They cover against Wyoming by kind of 92-72. to So you had a lot of interesting results out there in the Mountain West, and we've been giving a lot of shine to a lot of these teams that have been able to cover the spread. How about if we give a few more before we take a look at some of the, shall we say, disappointments that have been fades as far as this season. CSUN, they're now 20-7 and against the spread. They, along Texas A&M, Corpus Christi, are your top three cover teams in all of college basketball. CSUN has a slight underdog of about two points. They get it done against Cal State Fullerton, 65-60 to the final, and CSUN wins this game while shooting two of 18 from three-point range as Fullerton, they go 7 of 20 from 3 par range, but where CSUN won this game, they won the turnover battle, 17-7. to This is just a very smart team with Deshaun Ellen Eikens, Deontay Bostic, two guys that hung with the program, even with the coaching change. They combined for 38 points to be able to will this one in for victory. Richmond, the Itsy Bitsy Spiders have been a really good cover team. Not able to cover on Saturday, though. 66-63, they get the win, but as about 5.5 point favorites, they're unable to cover against Davidson. For Richmond, they've had a little bit of a tough time on the glass this season, and that's what costed them the cover in this one. They lose a rebound battle 37-29, to but you did have Jordan King be the king with 15 points. Does shoot just 2 of 10 from 3-point chip for Davidson. How about 23 points and 11 rebounds out of Reed Bailey to be able to keep them competitive in this one, despite the fact that Davidson they themselves went just 6 of 22 from 3-point range. Another team has been able to make you a lot of money, Iowa State, but they got a little bit of a test from a West Virginia team that all of a sudden is playing better basketball. 71 to 64. Iowa State, they get the win, but they do not get the cover. And for West Virginia, they've dealt with injuries all season long, but now they're getting the most out of their backcourt as you had Kirk Risa be able to go 4 of 7 from 3 par range. The team as a whole goes 7 of 24 from distance. Now, West Virginia loses the turnover battle by a count of 23 to 13, but they did have down low Jesse Edwards. 
provide 10 points, 8 boards, 4 blocks to be able to keep them lively. As Samon Lipsby was able to help Iowa State be able to get the victory in this one, but no cover for them, and there was a cover for this team. UT Arlington, the Mavericks, are now 18-8 and against the spread themselves. They're able to get the job done against Utah Tech by a count of 89-78. This was a spread of around 10.5 on the close for a lot of people, so they were able to do just enough as Utah Tech actually shoots 9-23 from three-point range, but UT Arlington, they're able to match going 10 of 21 from distance, and for Arlington, even though they do lose a rebound battle in this game, 32-26, to they win the turnover battle 20-15, to so that allows them to be able to get to the window as well. You've also got the men of Troy who have been able to do a tremendous job of being able to cover some numbers as well. They are now 17-8-1 against the spread, and depending upon your number on Saturday, as they win by a count of 84-78 against Louisiana Monroe, some places add this as a 6. I was seeing some 6 and halfs action out there as well, and for Troy, they do shoot just 25.5% for 3 point and this Troy team was up pretty big in this game as well. I know that they had built at one point an 18-point lead. They go to 7-27 from 3-point and Monroe's actually been playing some better basketball. You've got Nika, I can't pronounce the last name, giving you about 18 points for a really weak liqueur. He was able to chip in there 20 some relatively spirited effort there, but how about if we take a look at some of the teams that have been very fatable all season long in Pacific? They have been your worst cover team all season long. 6-22 and 22 against the spread and against a team in Loyola Marymount that had six scholarship players. They get lambasted. 86-63 the final for Pacific. They would not score a point in the final three plus minutes in this one as well. Just absolute sadness for the team. They do actually shoot 40% from four, which for their standards is not too bad, but they lose a turnover battle 6-3. They generate three turnovers in a 40-minute game against a team with six scholarship players. So that's been not too terrific. Now, another team has been pretty solid against the spread. San Francisco, as long as we're on the WCC, we'll give them some credit. Win and cover against Pepperdine, 92-68 to as you had Nadio Newberry be able to chip in there 19 points. And Javon Porter, the Brother of Michael Porter, 23 points for Pepperdine as well. But IUPUI, they're going to be in action on Sunday. They're your second worst cover team in all of college basketball. But these two teams, they have been getting just absolutely pounded all season long. Missouri is now 7-20 and against the spread. They are facing off against an Arkansas team that hasn't been a whole heck of a lot better this year. And Arkansas took them to the woodshed. 88-73, to the final. Arkansas now 9-18 and against the spread. But for Missouri, 5-19 of from three-point range. They had Sean East provide 33 of those points. He did his part and nobody else did as Arkansas and Kaylee Battle go off for 42 points and six boards in this one. So that was a nice shooting expose. This team has been horrible at being able to cover numbers as well. That would be Stone Cold Steve Duffawson. They are 6-19 and 19 against the spread. They fall to Utah Valley by a count of 71-62. to 62. The spread on this game was 3.5 and, and for Utah Valley this team has been brutal from 3 all season long. They go 7-13 of 13 from distance in this one. Caleb Stone Carewell, 14 points in 18 minutes off the bench and receive it off Austin. They do go 12-12 at the free throw line, but they play even up on the glass. They're still missing Day-Day. Hall has been out with an injury, and that was another brutal one for them. This has been a brutal team all season long as well. You've got Old Dominion currently sitting at 7-20-1 against the spread, and Old Dominion, they were able to get a triumph over Coastal Carolina. 75-59 the final. For Old Dominion, they do hold Coastal Carolina to shooting just 5-22 of 22 from three-point range. 
You also had Old Dominion win the turnover battle 17-7 as you had 33 big points in this one out of Tyrone Williams. So a little bit of credit where credit is due there. And then we've got a Michigan team that's going to be in action on Sunday as a double-figure underdog at home, which that's just absolute sadness, the fact that we've gotten to that point. But, I mean, just all across the great state of Michigan, there's been some not-so-great basketball being played. Michigan State has been able to hold up their end of the bargain, but Detroit now 8-21 and against the spread as they are going to be in action on Sunday as well. But the team that nobody's talking about in terms of their stinkitude, how about what Northern Illinois has been doing? They lose at home 80-59. to They are now against the spread a... Bunch that has went 7-18 and 18 thus far this season as David Quaid at 27 of the team's 59 points for Northern Illinois. They got 3 of 21 from three-point range, so that has been all sorts of brutal for them. It has been an all sorts of brutal season as well for a team out there in the Southland in New Orleans. There was actually some expectations around this team with Jordan Johnson being one of the top scorers in all of college basketball. They are now 9-18 against the spread. And on Saturday, they fall to Southeast Louisiana by kind of 77-67. Line on this game was between 9 and 9.5. And so Southeast Louisiana barely able to get there. But for New Orleans, they go 3 of 22 from 3. Mr. Johnson, I just alluded to, 22 points, but did so while shitting 1 of 9 from 3-point range. So another relatively rough effort there. And we've already highlighted some of the best over teams in all of college basketball. Your best over team is actually going to be playing on Sunday as well. That'd be right state 20 overs to 6 unders. Alabama, Air Force, these have been teams that have been playing a lot of overs. As Air Force has actually played 19 overs to 7 unders this far this season. But Denver has been a team that has just been cashing the over for you all season long. They on Saturday had the day off, so they weren't able to give you any sort of result there. We'll be seeing them in action next on Thursday. They're a team that's 19 overs to 6 unders thus far this season, but a sneaky one. How about Oregon State having played about two-thirds of their games to the over 18 overs to just 9 over unders thus far this season? And how Jared Hass currently has a job, I have no idea. Stanford has a favorite of about 10 or so points in this one. They get mollywopped 85-73 to against an Oregon State team that hasn't been able to hit a shot on the road all season long. Jordan Pope was the Pope. 30 points on 3 of 6 3-point shooting, 10 of 17 overall from the floor. And Sanford, they go 7 of 24 from 3. They have clearly been missing Jared Bynum as they tried to work him back at the fold. He has not been able to. And Sanford lost the rebound medal in this game, 39-22. to I guess Oregon State. Like, good grief. How dumb is Jared Haas to not be able to get his team to be able to play, like, even closely even up on the glass against Oregon State. How that man has a job, I have no idea, but we digress. There's been another team that has been pretty solid to the over that has been quite sneaky as well. Gardner-Webb is typically a little bit more of a defense-oriented team, but they have now played 18 overs to just 8 unders. You saw another hair-bearing game for them on Saturday. They actually went on the road against UNC Asheville by kind of 78-77. to 77. Total was in the low 150, so you were able to get the over there as Gardner-Webb went 12 of 24 from 3-par range. Julian Sawarmo. He was able to Sawarmo UNC Asheville, 16 points. He goes from three-point range, far away from distance, and Drew Pember, he just did not have it in this one. He gives you six points, nine boards, six assists, five blocks, but just was not able to hit his shots as it was Fletcher Aby who tried to bail the team out with 16 points as for UNC Asheville. Very interestingly, by the way, off the bench, they had 43 out of their 77 points. You don't see that every day, and then if you're looking at top under teams, we've already looked at a few with regards to the directional Illinois schools. Vanderbilt has been another one. Has been very good to the under. That's about the only thing that they've done well thus far this season. And 
Hey, they were able to get a cover against Florida, 77-64 the final. Florida's been getting to 80 on the regular, but in this affair for Florida, they were able to really put the handcuffs on Vanderbilt, who goes 5-22 from three-point range, but Vanderbilt actually played even up on the glass, actually winning the rebound battle, 38-37. to Florida, just overall more talented. Will Richard able to give you 21 points, but hey... You know what? You'll take what you can get there. And then this team has been very good at home thus far this season as well. How about Southern and the way that they've been able to play quite a few unders thus far this season? As for Southern, 16 unders to just 8 overs. And they played another slog. Their run of just being good at home, that came to an end on Saturday as they fall to Grambling by a count of 63-57. to 57. As Grambling shoots 7-12 of 12 from 3, 8-21 of 21 from Southern. You have both of these teams go combined 15 out of 33 from 3, and you had to combine 120 points on the board in this game. That was wild, to say the least. Both teams had 14 turnovers, so that was one where it was a strange game, to say the least. And then you've also had Dartmouth be a very good under team for you as well. Shock, shock, surprise, surprise. 15 unders to just 7 overs. On Saturday, it was much of the same. 68 to 56. They fall to Princeton at home. Princeton was laying 15 and a half points, so they were able to get the cover. But for Princeton, they win this game while going 10 of 35 from 3 par inch as Dartmouth. They actually shoot 8 of 21 from distance. Problem was, they lose the eternal battle by a count of 14 to 7. They weren't able to do anything on the interior whatsoever as well. And for Princeton, they've got a guy by the name of Caden Pierce so it's able to give you 22 points, 11 boards. So we had a jam-packed college basketball Saturday. Tried to recap as much as humanly possible. And if you're taking a look at the landscape of college basketball over the last seven days, home underdogs starting to make a little bit more of a surge, 53-51 and 51 against the spread. And home teams overall hitting at about 51.7% over the last seven days. Meanwhile, overs and unders, very even Steven. 161 overs, 161 unders, and a few pushes along the way. Overall for the season, overs hitting closer to about 51.1%. 2,392 overs, 2,286 unders, and quite a few pushes along the way with home underdogs still hitting at just 49% for the season. 640, 667, and 20 against the spread. So that's what we're seeing in college basketball right now, and that's what we all got on a jam-packed Saturday. Now let's turn it forward to Sunday, and let's just get the mindset of a better from our good friend Rob Donaldson because I know that there are some of you guys that go and have hot streaks, cold streaks. It happens to us all. I think that it is very important to highlight that just a little bit more on this podcast. We'll do that with Rob before turning it forward to Sunday next with him right here on Cuscus with myself, Craig Peters, and now a part of the Beeson Family Podcast. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Across Generations, where the voices of Black women unite in powerful conversations. I'm your host, Tiffany Cross. Tiffany Cross. I want you all to join me and be a part of sisterhood, friendship, wisdom, and laughter. In every episode, we gather a seasoned elder. But even with a child, there's no such thing as the wrong thing if you love them. Myself, as the middle generation... I don't feel like I have to get married at this big age in life, but it is a desire I have and something that I've navigated in dating and a vibrant young soul for engaging intergenerational conversations. I'm very jealous of your generation (laughs) that didn't have to deal with Instagram and Tinder. This is Across Generations, where Black women's voices unite, and together, you know how we do, we create magic. magic. Listen to Across Generations podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. Western nations like the U.S. and Europe 
Mexico will likely have its first female president. And then you have China. And help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters. He'll get his yo-yos to Europe in time. But the longer this drags on, the more worry he's getting. They knew that they needed to do this as fast as they possibly could to get a drug on the market as fast as they could. I'm David Gura. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleya Mosin. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets. Basically, everyone was expecting, if not a calamity, certainly a recession. But the problem is that that paperwork, as our reporting showed, is fake. As someone who's covering the market, I'm often very worried about an imminent collapse. So I'm thinking about it quite often. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. NFL Total Access, the podcast, is getting you ready for the 2024 NFL Draft. I'm your host, Andrew Levy, and I'll be delivering two shows a week to make sure you're caught up on the very latest NFL news, including every free agency move and how it changes the draft needs of your favorite team. Draft experts and talent scouts, mock drafts, and a few shock drafts, too. NFL Total Access, the podcast, is already on the clock on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Across Generations, where the voices of Black women unite in powerful conversations. I'm your host, Tiffany Cross. Tiffany Cross. I want you all to join me and be a part of sisterhood, friendship, wisdom, and laughter. In every episode, we gather a seasoned elder. But even with a child, there's no such thing as the wrong thing if you love them. Myself, as the middle generation... I don't feel like I have to get married yeah. at this big age in life, but it is a desire I have and something that I've navigated in dating and a vibrant young soul for engaging intergenerational conversations. I'm very jealous of your generation <laughs> yeah. that didn't have to deal with Instagram and Tinder. This is Across Generations, where Black women's voices unite, and together, you know how we do, we create magic. We create magic. Listen to Across Generations podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. Western nations like the U.S. and Europe. Mexico will likely have its first female president. And then you have China. And help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters. He'll get his yo-yos to Europe in time. But the longer this drags on, the more worry he's getting. They knew that they needed to do this as fast as they possibly could to get a drug on the market as fast as they could. I'm David Gura. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleya Mosin. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets. Basically, everyone was expecting, if not a calamity, certainly a recession. But the problem is that that paperwork, as our reporting showed, is fake. As someone who's covering the market, I'm often very worried about an imminent collapse. So I'm thinking about it quite often. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. NFL Total Access, the podcast, is getting you ready for the 2024 NFL Draft. I'm your host, Andrew Levy, and I'll be delivering two shows a week to make sure you're caught up on the very latest NFL news, including every free agency move and how it changes the draft needs of your favorite team. Draft experts and talent scouts, mock drafts, and a few shock drafts, too. NFL Total Access, the podcast, is already on the clock on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Podcasts. 
And we're back to the Buffy Las Vegas, the best of season with myself, Greg Peterson, now a part of the Beast and Family a Podcast. It is always great to be joined by this man as Rob Donaldson. He does great work with the show slash podcast, Rob's Best Bet Show, taking a look at all things college basketball. I know that he has been hard at work trying to be able to decipher a sport that sometimes it feels like there is no possible way of being able to decipher, but this man does so also well. You're able to follow him on Twitter slash X at RobDFB altogether. And Rob, it is always a pleasure, my friend. Thank you. Yeah, thank you for having me on, Greg. And yes, there are some tumultuous times when you're betting on college kids, especially when, you know, you can account for the first 40 minutes, but then you can't count for 45 sometimes, and that's where you might get burnt when it goes to overtime. So yes, some up and downs for sure, but it all evens out over time. That's how I kind of got to rationalize it in my brain. Yep, and when it comes to gauging college basketball, we always look at the analytics and everything like that, but I I do think that you hit on something important. How important is it just the human psychology slash the human element part of handicapping? Because I do think that that's something that, I mean, and I'll be the first to raise my hand, doesn't get talked about enough, but I do think that it's one of the most important things because human nature in general is to just react very, very demonstratively to wins in terms of being very happy, being very mad when it comes to losses. But I do think that taking a step back, looking at where your bets went wrong, like you, for example, were talking about all these games going to overtime. I, a few days ago, had a bet on like the Fairfield game versus Quinnipiac where the under doesn't hit because both teams go a combined about 47% from three-point range. And I think that it's very important to, to be uh, reflective of the fact that sometimes it's just bad handicapping and sometimes you're just on the wrong side of a just utter calamity of a game. It's honestly tough. And, I, and I'm going to be the first one to say that, you know, I don't have a rigid computer system that just kind of spits out the, the bets that I'm going to place that day. And we're betting, you know, real money on this. And so sometimes when you are taking some quote unquote, bad beats or things just maybe aren't going your way, you know, across the board, you're losing money, you're losing people money. And then it just kind of snowballs from an emotional standpoint, because, you know, we're tied to those sorts of things monetarily. And the way I kind of have rationalized it and conditioned myself over the years is you got to kind of remove the, you know, I'm betting this amount of dollars on it and just kind of look at it from a unit size standpoint. That's why I've really fallen in love with my unit, you know, projection or my metrics and how I kind of go about it. It's definitely tough. You got to stay even keel, even through the hard times. And when they're really kind of falling hard on you, that's where it really tests you. The only thing that has been money in the bank thus far this season is betting on Mississippi Valley State to lose as they are so winless. But that's that everything else. It has been quite difficult to say the least. And how did you just gauge what we all got on Saturday? We're doing this as some of the late games are still wrapping up, but we've seen a lot of our key results come in, and I'm not sure how you gauge everything for Saturday, but I feel like my biggest takeaway is typically this time of year, we're starting to see teams bat down the hatches in terms of defense, really start to slow things down with regards to value each possession, and I feel like we did not see that at all on Saturday, where a lot of teams, they were playing harebrained, up and down basketball, and we just did not see very good defense at all on Saturday. Yeah, that's definitely a factor that comes into play. And also, you know, a lot of these college kids that at the beginning of the season were really green to the sport or green to this league have now kind of matured a little bit. And we're seeing a lot of road teams not get as shaken up by these crazy home environments. I mean, we saw North Carolina go into Virginia and just win a scrap it out 54-44 type ballgame. 
We saw South Carolina go into Ole Miss and just lay the wood on them. You know, Auburn going to Georgia and just lay them down by 20. And West Virginia even going to Iowa State and putting up a fight there. A lot of these home court advantages that we really saw at the beginning part of conference play especially are now starting to get a little bit neutralized just by, you know, maturity and growth and experience that's kind of coming with this season. And, you know, we're already in February. This is the last Saturday and Sunday slates of the entire February month. And then we're into March. It's late in the season and we're starting to kind of see that materialize. Yeah, I mean, heck, you saw New Mexico lose at home to the pit, which that's just a ghastly loss. <laughs> I don't care how you slice that, but man, it has been very interesting to take a look at that. To say the least, as Rob Donaldson, he does great work with the show slash podcast. Rob's about such show is joining me right here on Coast Coast Hoops. And now we turn it forward to Sunday and I think that this is such an intriguing spot. You've got Creighton who's going to be on the road against St. John's. Question becomes, how do you handle prosperity if you're Creighton? You're coming off of a massive win against UConn. Now you find yourself as about a two to two and a half point favorite against St. John's and a total at 154 that I think is one a little bit too far just because Creighton is not a team that necessarily plays super-duper up-tempo. But how do you gauge this game? Because I do have a big-time fear that this could be a letdown spot for Creighton. And, you know, kind of going back to Patino's comments after that loss where he just railed against his team and said, Joel Soriano's laterally slow. This guy's laterally slow. This guy can't shoot. This guy's not talented. Like, those sorts of things are kind of true. You know, St. John's is kind of a lesser athletic team. But at the same time, when you look at Creighton, you know, they aren't like a superior athletic being in the Big East. They're a very talented team and a very skilled team and an experienced team. But they are kind of linear where they're just going to kind of come down at you and they're going to make shots in your face and they're going to post you up down low. But St. John's can kind of neutralize that style of ball. You know, after that kick in the butt, I think St. John's is starting to kind of get a little bit of a bump from that and actually playing really well Um, last time out, at least. This is a really kind of big prove it spot for them. I think they could win it outright. I am staying away just because of the potential variance there, but I don't mind a play on St. John's. Yeah, if I'm going to be taking a look at St. John's myself, I just gauge the way that this team has been playing at home versus on the road, and it's been so vastly different. So I do think that there's going to be some good value there. And then I want to give a little bit of love to uh, this game because I do think that it's a fascinating one with Southern Illinois going on the road against Evansville. An Evansville team that has been quite a bit different ever since their top scorer, Ben Humer Riches, has gone back the full. But this is going to be one of the toughest offensive tests that they face all season long. You get the Southern Illinois team that they do a great job locking you down from three-part range. Total is between about 142.5 to 143 with Southern Illinois a three to three and a half point favorite. How do you gauge this sort of a game? Because Evansville is playing differently than they did in January, but this is a Southern Illinois team that we know they are looking to play this game in the 60s. I've been really impressed with Evansville, even though they've lost four of their last five. I really do think that they've been playing some impressive ball ever since. Is it Ben Humoriches or is it Ben Humorcals? Because I've been calling him Humorcals for the past two years. I always call him um, Humoriches, but I say <laughs> that just reading the name and it's like, yeah, it looks like Humoriches. <laughs> I'll ride with it. Humoriches. Well, you know, regardless of what you want to call him, he's a great player. He's a guy who can hit the long range jumper. He can post you up. He plays good defense and he's a veteran presence that isn't really going to turn the ball over as well. And ever since he did come back, they've been playing their best ball of the season, kind of like they were at the beginning part of the year when they got off to a really hot start. And I do think this is a team to actually watch out for in the, the Missouri Valley Conference Tournament because I think they can pick off some teams 
And in this spot at home, I think they can get Southern Illinois. So you're getting three and a half points here. I really do like taking the points and I wouldn't even mind sprinkling the money line here as well. I will be honest with you. I think that your pronunciation is probably better, but I do think that Hubert <laughs> Richards just sounds like a really good last save. So we're going to ride with it for the time being on this podcast. As we do have our good friend Rob Donaldson joining me right here on Coast Coast Seeps. And then we've got ourselves a very harebrained game and one that if you had told me this night, number one of the college basketball season, I would not have believed you. Purdue being a favorite against Michigan. Yeah, I could have seen that coming. Purdue being a 13 to 13 and a half point road favorite against Michigan. I did not see coming. So this game is 151 and a half. How do you gauge this one? Because with Michigan, I've been thinking the last few weeks, it's like, all right, they have finally hit rock bottom. And every single time I have thought that they have hit rock bottom, Nope, they've got further to go. It's so bizarre because, one, you got the Doug McDaniel saga where he can't play these road games because of, you know, the academic things that are going on with him. And now Olivier Kamwa is out for the, the season with an injury. And Terrence Williams, two games ago, missed the game with, they're calling it flu-like symptoms or personal reasons. I don't really know. Now he might be back. And then Will Cheddar, last time out, actually ends up missing the game with the same kind of diagnosis. So who knows who's playing this game? I don't think Michigan even cares if they play this game. It is pretty crazy when you kind of looking at this at the start of the year and seeing this potential number with Michigan at home. But man, it's hard pressed to kind of take this Michigan team right now with so much dysfunction. And this honestly could be the end of the Juwan Howard era is what we're watching in front of us right now. Yeah, I mean, it just has not been working out well the last few years for Michigan. And talk about doing less with more. I mean, for Juwan Howard to not make the NCAA tournament last season, that was rough. Not Jared Hass level bad. Now, that is just absolutely <laughs> terrible. How Stanford is still employing him as they lose by double figures at home against Oregon State. My goodness. You want to talk about a guy <laughs> that should have been fired three years ago, Jared Hass. Congratulations. I don't know what sort of information he acquired to be able to keep his job, but man, that is absolutely pathetic. But yeah, it's not been great for Michigan to say the least. And yeah, it's not been great for this team as well. Old Iwi Piwi, IEPUI is a <laughs> 17 and a half to an 18 point underdog against Northern Kentucky with a total between 145 and 145 and a half. How, if at all, are you playing this IEPUI team? Because there are just certain teams that stink so bad that the metrics have a tough time being able to gauge your stink, and IEPUI is towards the top of the list. 100%, and I will just kind of preface this pick with, I'm not going to bet this game because of that kind of high variance with IEPUI. And also on the other side with Northern Kentucky, if you want a sleeper to win the horizon, this is your team. I think they've been playing really great basketball. And there's only two coaches in this league who have ever made a Sweet 16. One of them is the head coach for NKU, and that's Darren Horn. And the other is at Detroit Mercy right now, believe it or not. So (laughs) when you're kind of looking at this matchup, I think Northern Kentucky is going to be able to shut them down defensively. Now, the offensive side of this number is where it gets a little hairy because I think Northern Kentucky is going to be comfortable winning this game 48 to 62, and that won't be enough. So maybe lean towards taking the points just from a perception standpoint, but this is never going to really feel like a ball game, and it's just going to be one of those really sickening sweats in your gut if you actually place the bet. <laughs> yeah, this is one that is going to be very rough, to say the least. And if you're someone that bets and watches this game, you are certainly a hearty soul, as we've got our good friend Rob Donald. So Genevieve right here on Coast to Coast. You said, do you want to get your thoughts on this one? UW-Green Bay had to play without Noah Reynolds in their – they had to play without Noah Reynolds in their last game, and now 
They play also Young Sound State as a five-point home underdog. Total on this game is 142 and a half. And it does not sound like Noah Reynolds is going to be back. I could be proven wrong, but it sounds like he's dealing with a bit of an ailment. And even if he's out there on the floor, I highly doubt that he's going to be 100%. How do you gauge this game? Because the one thing that puts me on Youngstown State currently at the five is that I just dug in on Youngstown State. They've actually been better defensively on the road rather than at home. And these are the teams I really treat like gold. This is one where I was kind of monitoring that situation to see if he would play. And I kind of came to the mindset of, you know, like you just said, even if he does play, is he going to be 100%? Do I really want to actually place money on a guy who may not play and may or may not even be, you know, viable for 20 minutes or above 20 minutes even? I stayed away from just like the sides in this game. I'm definitely taking a peek at the under there and I still have some research I want to do before I actually place a bet if I do place a bet on that game. But right now at 142, 142 and a half is where I'm kind of seeing that line on a couple of books. I do like leaning towards the under in that spot. And UW-Green Bay has actually been a pretty solid three-point shooting defense. Young Sound State, as I mentioned, they're giving up fewer points per possession away from home rather than at home. So I do like where you're going there, and I do agree with you on that front as well, especially if you don't have Reynolds in the fold at all in this game. And even if you get, like, 20 minutes out of him, how much of an impact is he going to make? So I'm in agreement with you there. And then I do take a look at this spot, and I do think that it's intriguing as well because Memphis has been all sorts of dysfunctional recently. And, man, talk about an other coach is doing less with more it's not quite as bad as Jared has once again but Memphis they are once again disappointing and now they're a home underdog of about point and a half two points against Florida Atlantic totals 158 and a half and with Florida Atlantic it has been up and down for them all season long but they've been finding themselves as big favorites which is why they haven't covered these numbers now at one after two you don't need them to do much more than to be able to win the game and I personally am willing to put my eggs in the basket of Florida Atlantic with them on such a short number. I'm not sure how you gauge this game, but with Memphis, they're just a team in general I don't want to be betting on because of the dysfunction that they've been having. Yeah, and now no Malcolm Dandridge. It's kind of like one of those weird scenarios of, and there's no real reason why as of last time I saw the update, it was just kind of a developing story is how it was kind of put out there. So I don't know if there's been more that's developed, but at the same time, that's a big piece that uh, was all of a sudden, is just taken out of your rotation. And yeah, he wasn't, you know, putting up the numbers that he was potentially last year, but he was still a viable guy in the sixth man role or the seventh man role, if you want to kind of look at him that way. And he was one of their best defenders as well. So now you don't have him. You're going up against, uh, obviously, Vlad down low for FAU, and you're going to have your hands full with just their guards exchanging at the top of the key as well. Man, if you're betting Memphis, you're a brave soul. I can't get behind that side. I think Florida Atlantic could potentially just kind of win by five, six, seven, maybe even double digits in this spot. So I'm all over FAU here. Yep, I am right there with you. And I love the fact that Florida Atlantic has just continued to be very consistent on offense, have not loved the defense of this team, but the offense has been able to get going in Memphis. They have not been doing a tremendous job with regards to the offense, to say the least. And then the nation's best cover team that's going to be coming to the forefront Sunday night. <laughs> that would be our good friends, Minnesota, are 23-3 and against this right end are six and a half point underdogs on the road against Nebraska. And I don't know how you've been gauging this Minnesota run, but 
I don't really put any stock into the 23 and 3 against the spread record. It plays no real part in my handicapping. I just handicap the game as if they were like, I don't know, I have to do the math. I think they played 26 games. So that would make them 13 and 13 against the spread if they were 500. <laughs> I gauge them the same now as they would if they were just 500 against the spread. But once again, I'm seeing value here on Minnesota. I'm not sure how you take a look at this, but every single time I think the number is going to adjust on Minnesota, it doesn't. And it feels like Minnesota is just all throughout the year. They've been getting better and better with every game. Yeah. And I'm kind of similar in that boat to kind of what you just said about their against the spread record. It doesn't really factor into my handicap. I do like ATS trends in certain spots, but not when it pertains to individual teams in an individual season. You know, it's kind of interesting because I I don't know where Minnesota's perception nationally lies, whether or not it's, you know, oh, this team is playing really great basketball. They're covering every game. Or if it's just, you know, they're just kind of a a mediocre Big Ten team around the 17 and 9 mark. And there's kind of an afterthought in the national picture. But this has been a really great season under under Johnson. And now they're going up against Nebraska, who is having a resurgence of their own under Fred Hoiberg. And when you're playing with expectations, that's kind of where the rubber meets the road. And you got to kind of figure out, you know, what your team is made of. Well, I think we're going to find out what Nebraska is made of here because they could potentially be 20 and eight. I mean, what a crazy uptrend year for them. And they've been playing great basketball to boot as well. And I do think they end up covering this number at six and a half is what I'm kind of seeing out there. But at the same time, I don't know if I want to kind of take the shot with them and ride the lightning with Nebraska. I think this is a wait and see how they kind of perform type of game. Yeah, with Minnesota, it's been absolutely incredible what we've been seeing out of them. And I mean, it really has overshadowed the fact that, to your point, Nebraska, they've really been able to rise up this year as well. A team that they were just out of control a few seasons ago under Fred Hoiberg. They were trying to play super fast in the Big Ten. They realized, eh, I think we're going to need to scrap this a little bit. And they've been able to do a very good job with Casey Shomanaga, really being able to put the ball in the bucket for them. And Rob, we've got ourselves, in my opinion, a really good Sunday. We've got about 24 games in total. We've got some good high-quality action. Is there anything else that you're going to be taking a look at on the board that you're going to be betting? This is a great Sunday slate. I wish more were kind of in this same style, a mix of big high conferences and a lot of mid-major ball to fall in love with across the entire conference board. And one of them that I'm kind of looking at, and this is a team that I've been really impressed with in a lot of recent outings, is Loyola Maryland going up against Boston. And they're on the road. They're 6-22, and 22, so it doesn't look like they're a viable team or a team people even want to even eye as a potential bet spot. But, you know, you kind of look over the last four games that they've played, even five games, they have wins over American. They played Colgate really tough. I mean, they lost by 14 to Colgate, but they still were in that game all the way up until the last five minutes. And then they have a 15-point win over one of the conference leaders in Lafayette. They played really well against a good Lehigh team on the road. I really do think that Loyola Maryland is potentially live in this game, yet they're getting seven and a half points. So that's definitely my favorite bet spot of the day going up against Boston with that little bit of an inflated record, in my opinion. And so I'm all over Loyola Maryland. I think this is way too many points. I think there's a lot of value with this team moving forward. And what's interesting about that Boston U team that you're going to be looking to fade is that they've actually been significantly better with their defense on the road rather than at home. Now, Loyal Maryland is certainly not without their warts as well, but that said, it has been a Boston U team that has had a tough time being able to put the ball in the basket. Meanwhile, Loyal Maryland they have not been doing a great job on defense as well. So it's a good old situation of something's got to give in a Patriot League where I do think that we're going to get some good action out there. The bracket bus and bison only laying four to four and a half against RV. That's one that I like as well. So we're going to be locked in there and 
You, my friend, do such a good job of being able to gauge this card, Rob. I know that you're doing such good work with regards to college basketball. And soon enough, we're going to be breaking down some baseball as well in a little oh, bit yeah. over a month. So <laughs> let the good people at home know it's on tap for you and how people can follow along on social media and other platforms. Yeah, well, as always, Greg, always really appreciate you having me on. You are definitely the gold standard at this. And we're all just kind of trying to chase you in terms of just putting out the great content and just great analysis that you do. But if you want to follow me and just kind of follow my bets and uh, my potential videos for March Madness as well, you can do so on Twitter at Rob DFB or X rather. And on YouTube, just my name, Rob Donaldson is a great way to follow along. But as always, Greg, really appreciate having me on. Always great to have Rob aboard. He does such good work taking a look at this great game that we all know and love of college basketball. And every single time he joins the show, he lends such good insight. So big thanks to Rob for joining me on Coast to Coast Hoops, now part of the Beeson Family Podcast. And coming up next, it is that time of the podcast to give you picks and analysis on every game on the betting board for this college basketball Sunday as we hit some day checks. Hey, everybody, welcome to Across Generations, where the voices of Black women unite in powerful conversations. I'm your host, Tiffany Cross. Tiffany Cross. I want you all to join me and be a part of sisterhood, friendship, wisdom, and laughter. In every episode, we gather a seasoned elder. But even with a child, there's no such thing as the wrong thing if you love them. Myself, as the middle generation... I don't feel like I have to get married at this big age in life, but it is a desire I have and something that I've navigated in dating and a vibrant young soul for engaging intergenerational conversations. I'm very jealous of your generation (laughs) that didn't have to deal with Instagram and Tinder. This is Across Generations, where Black women's voices unite, and together, you know how we do, we create magic. magic. Listen to Across Generations podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. Western nations like the U.S. and Europe. Mexico will likely have its first female president. And then you have China. And help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters. He'll get his yo-yos to Europe in time. But the longer this drags on, the more worry he's getting. They knew that they needed to do this as fast as they possibly could to get a drug on the market as fast as they could. I'm David Gura. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleh Mosin. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets. Basically, everyone was expecting, if not a calamity, certainly a recession. But the problem is that that paperwork, as our reporting showed, is fake. As someone who's covering the market, I'm often very worried about an imminent collapse. I'm thinking about it quite often. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C. We dig into how money, politics and power shape government and the consequences for voters. It's an election year, so there's a lot of focus on the voters that TikTok is reaching. The initial reaction is like, oh, things are looking so resilient. I don't want to be too pessimistic, but I just don't see the political will down in Washington right now to, to change their tune. I think the American electorate has been signaling that it expects a rematch of the 2020 election. These are unprecedented times. 
With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Across Generations, where the voices of Black women unite in powerful conversations. I'm your host, Tiffany Cross. Tiffany Cross. I want you all to join me and be a part of sisterhood, friendship, wisdom, and laughter. In every episode, we gather a seasoned elder. But even with a child, there's no such thing as the wrong thing if you love them. Myself, as the middle generation, I don't feel like I have to get married at this big age in life, but it is a desire I have and something that I've navigated in dating. And a vibrant young soul for engaging intergenerational conversations. I'm very jealous of your generation (laughs) that didn't have to deal with Instagram and Tinder. This is Across Generations, where Black women's voices unite, and together, you know how we do, we create magic. magic. Listen to Across Generations podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. Western nations like the U.S. and Europe. Mexico will likely have its first female president. And then you have China. And help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters. He'll get his yo-yos to Europe in time. But the longer this drags on, the more worry he's getting. They knew that they needed to do this as fast as they possibly could to get a drug on the market as fast as they could. I'm David Gura. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleya Mosin. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets. Basically, everyone was expecting, if not a calamity, certainly a recession. But the problem is that that paperwork, as our reporting showed, is fake. As someone who's covering the market, I'm often very worried about an imminent collapse. So I'm thinking about it quite often. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. NFL Total Access, the podcast, is getting you ready for the 2024 NFL Draft. I'm your host, Andrew Levy, and I'll be delivering two shows a week to make sure you're caught up on the very latest NFL news, including every free agency move and how it changes the draft needs of your favorite team. Draft experts and talent scouts, mock drafts, and a few shock drafts, too. NFL Total Access, the podcast, is already on the clock on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Across Generations, where the voices of Black women unite in powerful conversations. I'm your host, Tiffany Cross. Tiffany Cross. I want you all to join me and be a part of sisterhood, friendship, wisdom, and laughter. In every episode, we gather a seasoned elder. But even with a child, there's no such thing as the wrong thing if you love them. Myself, as the middle generation... I don't feel like I have to get married at this big age in life, but it is a desire I have and something that I've navigated in dating and a vibrant young soul for engaging intergenerational conversations. I'm very jealous of your generation (laughs) that didn't have to deal with Instagram and Tinder. This is Across Generations, where Black women's voices unite, and together, you know how we do, we create magic. magic. Listen to Across Generations podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. Western nations like the U.S. and Europe. Mexico will likely have its first female president. And then you have China. 
and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters. He'll get his yo-yos to Europe in time. But the longer this drags on, the more worry he's getting. They knew that they needed to do this as fast as they possibly could to get a drug on the market as fast as they could. I'm David Gura. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleya Mosin. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets. Basically, everyone was expecting, if not a calamity, certainly a recession. But the problem is that that paperwork, as our reporting showed, is fake. As someone who's covering the market, I'm often very worried about an imminent collapse. So I'm thinking about it quite often. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. NFL Total Access, the podcast, is getting you ready for the 2024 NFL Draft. I'm your host, Andrew Levy, and I'll be delivering two shows a week to make sure you're caught up on the very latest NFL news, including every free agency move and how it changes the draft needs of your favorite team. Draft experts and talent scouts, mock drafts, and a few shock drafts, too. NFL Total Access, the podcast, is already on the clock on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And we're back here in Las Vegas for Coast to Coast Hoops with myself, Greg Hoops-Peterson, now a part of the Beeson Family Podcast. It is always great to get Rob Donaldson aboard. He does such good work. Take a look at this great game of college basketball. His show slash podcast, Rob's Best Bet Show, he does a great job on that front. And every single time he joins this podcast, always lends great insight. So, big thanks to him for joining me in the last segment. Now it is that time of the podcast. I give you picks and analysis on every game on the betting board for this college basketball Sunday as we had some bank shots. Most financial establishments close at a certain time, but not here. It is time for a side and total on every game on today's betting board bank shots. Do note that as per usual, any changes that are made to these plays will be listed up on my Twitter slash X feed at GNNRS41. We're going to be going in last exhortation order. What this means is that we're pretty much going in time order. And then the games involving the NEC and the Patriot League, those are the smaller conferences. Those are going to be the games that are going to be listed at the bottom. Everything else is in time order. So we're going to get things started with 8-15, 8-16 on the card. It is Maryland, and they're on the road. They're facing off against Rutgers. Rutgers is a favorite of 2.5 points. Your total on this game, getting it between a 128.5 and a 129. And I did set my total 126. So I'm going to be diving in on the under. Maryland, a top 20 team in all of college basketball. The guards points a lot on a per-possession basis. Rutgers, a top 15 team in all of college basketball in terms of points a lot on a per-possession basis and for Rutgers, they're just so much better with their defense at home rather than when they are in a roadside stretch court environment. And that bears out in the fact that they're allowing 22.6 points fewer per one hour possessions, one at home rather than in a roadside stretch court venue. Meanwhile, Maryland's defense, it travels a little bit better. They are giving up right around about seven points more per one hour possessions when they leave home, but it's still a pretty sturdy unit. Meanwhile, for Maryland, this bunch has been having a tough time with their outside shooting all season long. They're shooting about 28.8% from three-point range as a bottom 40 mark in all of college basketball. Now, they do have the best score out there on the floor, and that'd be Jameer Young. Young has been able to supply the team with 21 points, four assists, five boards. He has been tremendous. And Julian Reese, he's been able to give you about 10 rebounds per game as well. And this is a Rutgers team that they are going to give up some second chances on the glass, despite the fact that Cliff Rui gives you north of two blocks. He throws in their nine boards. He has been tremendous. But the team has also had Muat Mogby in and out of the fold as well. And when he's been out, that has been very costly for this Rutgers team. Now, they've been able to get a little bit of a shot in the arm in terms of their offense. The Temple transfer that has come in and Jeremiah Williams 
Williams has been able to give you about 13 points. He's been back for six games after he was out for darn near a year and a half due to injury and what have you. But for Rutgers, they themselves only shoot about 29.5% from three-point. They don't do a bad job in terms of turning the ball over with about 11.5 turnovers per game. And they're still okay at being able to generate turnovers. Derek Simpson has been your main guy with about 1.3 turnovers per game, but this is not the team from last year that was on the tops in all of college basketball. The guys are turnovers for us on a per-possession basis at Maryland. They don't generate a lot of live ball turnovers, so that's why they're not really getting a lot of fast-break opportunities, but they're pretty solid at being able to turn you over as well. Was expecting a lot more out of the freshmen like Kaiser, Deshaun Aaron Smith. These guys just have not been able to rise up, and as a result, Maryland they've been a rock-solid defense. They've been rough with regards to their offense. Now, this is a Maryland team that, to their deficit, they have given up north of 70 points in three of their last four games, but the reason why they gave up north of 70 against Wisconsin is that things got harebrained late. Illinois is just playing a whole bunch of overs, and then you play against Iowa, and the other game goes to double overtime. Meanwhile, you've got a Rutgers team that they've been able to get to at least 68 points in three of their last four games, but hasn't been so great for them as well. Last time these two teams played, it was a 56-53 of 53 slog where the two teams shot a combined 5-31 of 31 from 3. I think both teams heat up a little bit there, but both of these perimeter defenses have been rock solid all season long. Maryland less so with regards to their average, but they just don't allow you to pop threes. They're in the top 30 in all of college basketball in terms of lowest percentage of shots that do come from 3-par range, and I do think that you're in for another relatively low-scoring slog. I set my total 126. I'm looking at the under, and with Rutgers, going to make them a 2-point favorite. I don't trust them in a late game fouling scenario. This team has been rough at the free throw line, so going to be willing to take two and a half here with Maryland, and I'm going to be taking a look at the under. 8-17-8-18 on the betting board. It is St. John's, and they play us to Creighton. Creighton is a road favorite of two to two and a half points. So this game is between 153 and 154. I made St. John's a one half point favorite. I'm going to be looking at the Johnnies outright on the money line. I do think that this is a little bit of a letdown spot for a Creighton team that they're a pretty high variance team because they do play really slow. They're outside the top 250 with regards to total possessions per game. And I do think that St. John's could be able to match up with what Creighton is able to do down low. For Creighton, you've got Ryan Kalkbrenner, 17 points, 7 boards, 2.5 blocks per contest. On the flip side, you've got Joel Soriano, who's averaging a double double for St. John's. Baylor Shireman, Trey Alexander, these guys have been tremendous. They're combining for about 35 and a half points, 14 and a half boards right around 9 assists, 2 steals and you've got Chigerman shooting 37% from 3 but Chris Ludlum even though he's not going to have the outside game of these two guys, he is able to be pretty versatile with about 7 boards, he's able to throw in there a little bit over a steal, gives you 9 points per game and with the St. John's team I like the way that Dennis Jenkins has taken care of the ball. St. John's about 11.7 turnovers per game, not too shabby there Jenkins he gives you out about 5.5 assists per game in the St. John's defense which is outside the top 75 with the guards points a lot on a per possession basis it is so much more beastly at home. They are giving up about 18 points fewer per one arm possessions at home rather than in a roadside shoot to guard venue. And this is a Creighton team that they're really good at being able to guard the arc. They're a top 40 team with regards to opponent's three-point shooting percentage. You've got a Creighton team, though, that when they do hit the road, their three-point shooting percentage it goes from about 38 to 35%. And this has been a Creighton team that's had a little bit of a tough time finding their sea legs on offense away from home. They run a relatively thin rotation. Fran Farabella is able to come in off the bench. He's able to pop a few threes. I wish they would give Fred King a few more minutes. I really do like what he's been able to provide for the team. But all in all, it is a Creighton team that they are averaging about 17 points fewer per one-hour possessions when they leave home rather than when they are at home. And I do think that St. John's in front of this home crowd, they're going to be able to find a way to get it done in a game where I feel like the total has just gone up too high. St. John's is playing fast, but they're not playing at warp speed. And with Creighton and the way
way that they do play defense, and on top of that, the way that they play so slowly, I do think that this total should be lower. So my total 147 and a half, looking at the under, and I like St. John's all right on the money line. 819-820 on the betting board. Rhode Island is going to be on the road facing off against LaSalle. LaSalle is exploring a cover as a three-point favorite. Your total on scheme, it is 153 to 153 and a half. Set LaSalle is a five-point favorite. I'm going to be willing to lay the number. Rhode Island, a bottom 15 team in all of college basketball in terms of points a lot on a per possession basis, and they're just not committing turnovers whatsoever. Now, that's not the worst thing in this matchup because LaSalle, the one thing they've done right is take care of the ball. LaSalle is turning the ball over less than 10 and a half times for contest. They just haven't been able to really create shots for one and for two. This is also a LaSalle team that they don't have a lot of rebounding. LaSalle is outside the top 275 with regards to the rebound rate. Rhode Island, they are more of a top 150 team. You've had David Futures be able to supply the team with about seven boards, eight points per game, and ever since you've been able to get back David Green, he's been able to help out in a wide variety of ways. Currently shooting 50% from three, 14 and a half points, four and a half boards, so he has been impactful in a wide variety of ways, but this Rhode Island team, they do turn the ball over themselves about 12 and a half times for contest. You've got Jaden Howes, Lewis Coatwright, who have been able to run the offense. Coatwright, your main facilitator, three and a half assists. She's about 32% for three and house. Does shoot about 38% for three, main score of 15 and a half points per game, but I do like the LaSalle backcourt a little bit better as they do put a little bit of pressure on you. You've got Jamari Brickus, Khalil Brantley, combined for 29 points, nine assists, three steals per game, and Brickus does shoot 42% for three. Now, he's really the lone guy for LaSalle as really a consistent threat from three-pointers. LaSalle's collective, they're shooting about 34.3% from three-point range, and you're witnessing a pair of teams that have had a little bit of a brutal time in terms of being able to guard the three-point arc. LaSalle is well outside the top 250 in terms of opponent's three-point shooting percentage in Rhode Island. It gets very, very bad with regards to their perimeter defense as well. They're allowing opponents from two-point range, so this is independent of three-point shooting defense, to shoot 55.7% inside against them, and then that translates into being bad along the perimeter as well. Rhode Island, a team that as well is outside the top 250 with regards to opponent's three-point shooting percentage. It just gets all the worse away from all allowing opponents to shoot 36.8% from distance. So this is a circumstance where I set my total at a 149. reason why I do like the under is that Rhode Island has been sketchy with their three-point shooting all season long, and this is a LaSalle team that I do think is going to play a little bit better defense at home, and this has been a bunch in Rhode Island that they have been playing a little bit more slowly this season outside the top 150 with regards to total possessions per game with LaSalle. They have been allowing opponents to shoot 37.8% from three-point range at home compared to 33% away from home. I think that that irons out a little bit. I do think that LaSalle is able to get just enough down low out of Ruckus Josias was able to give you about five and a half boards per contest along to Sean Shepard to be able to hold up on glass. So, did some my line at five. I'm going to be one to lay with LaSalle. And also made my total 149. So, also diving in on the under. 821, 822 on the bang board. SMU, it's a road face off against South Florida. South Florida is a one to one half point home underdog with your total between 146 and 146 half. I made South Florida the two-point favorite. I'm going to be looking at them all right on the money line. Now for SMU, this has been a top 30 team in terms of points allowed on a per possession basis. A top 20 team in terms of opponent's three-point shooting percentage, but I really like the way that this South Florida team has been able to play, and they've also done a nice job of running you off the three-point line as well. South Florida is allowing opponents to shoot 30.5% from three-point range at home. Overall, they're 38th in all of college basketball in terms of opponent's three-point shooting percentage. SMU more around 30.2%. That's a 
top 20 mark in all of college basketball, and it actually gets better when they're away from home. But with SMU, I do have my question marks with regards to the top flight scorers for this team because you've got Chuck Harris, who shoots north for 40% from three, 13 half points per game. He is the only out of their top five scorers, though, that shoots above 24% from three. You've got Zarek Phelps, who's able to give you 14 half points, three assists, two steals, but he shoots about 24% from three points. And for SMU, they're going to be able to win the battle down low. They're a top 55 team with regards to rebound rate. South Florida is outside the top 150. Samuel Williamson jumping in there. About 9.75 boards of steal per game. Like what he's able to bring to the table. And the ancillary pieces like B.J. Edwards, Ricardo Wright shooting 38% from three. They've been able to do a nice job as well, but with the South Florida unit, I do think that you're going to be able to get quite a bit out of the backcourt duo of Chris Youngblood along with Team Miguel. They've been able to come in for about 30 points and both of these guys now shoot north of 40% from three-point range and out of your top five scores, four of them do shoot at least 37.3% from three-point range and all but one of them shoot at least 73.8% at the free-throw line as well. So if you get into a late-game felling situation, that's going to be big now because Sean Pryor it's really the lone guy on the roster that's giving you north of 4.5 rebounds per game. He chips in there 11.5 points, 7.3 rebounds per game. So that does leave a little bit of something to be desired. But we also have been noticing that this SMU defense, it hasn't been quite the same recently. Meanwhile... It does feel like for South Florida, it's just gaining more and more steam. As for SMU, they're now about 18th in the country with regards points allowed on a per possession basis. And for South Florida, very strangely, they're actually giving up a full point more per one hundred possessions at home rather than in a road slash shoot record environment. But for SMU, even though they have been so good with regards to their defense all season long, in the stretch of their last four or so games, they have been giving up on a per possession basis about 10.5 points more per one hundred possessions than they have all season long. It is an SMU team that has officially given up at least 68 points in each of their last five games. Meanwhile, you've got a South Florida team that at this point, they're just sticking teams in the mud. They have given up 70 points or fewer in all but one out of their last six games. I do think that South Florida is in better form. And with them being at the Yingling Center, I do think that South Florida able to get the job done. I did set my line at a two, so I'm looking at South Florida outright on the money line. And did set my total 142. Recognize that SMU is playing a little bit up tempo, but you're dealing with two really good defenses here. And I think, hold up, looking at the under, and I'm looking at South Florida on the money line. This is going to be the DK Network right up pick. 823-824 on the betting board. It is Southern Illinois on the road against Evansville. Evansville is a underdog at home of between three and three and a half points. Total is any between 142 and a half and 143. I'm going to go back to an under. Hopefully this works out a little bit better than the Illinois versus Iowa one, but that said, I did set my total 135. I'm looking at the under because you're dealing with one of the slowest teams in all of college basketball in Southern Illinois. Now, Evansville, they're more of a mid-tempo team. They're right around about 132nd in the country with regards to total possessions brain, but this Saluki's team just sticks you in the mud. Now, you've got a guy in Xavier Johnson who's been absolutely tremendous, 22.5 points. He's been able to give you a six assists, steal and a half per contest. It's 22.3 points per contest, by the way. Top five mark in all of college basketball, but because they run everything through Xavier Johnson, they really slow things down, and as a result, they just let him cook on offense and then on defense. They do a really good job back, dropping back and not allowing you to pop threes. Southern Illinois, 13th in all of college basketball in terms of opponent's three-point shooting percentage, with opponents shooting 29.5% from distance. And you've got an Evansville team that they have been very good with regards to three-point shooting at home. They're shooting 39.7% at home from three-point range. That's a top 25 mark in all of college basketball, but... 
I do think that Southern Illinois going to be up for the task here. Southern Illinois, overall a top 120 team with regards to points allowed on a per-possession basis. Going up against an Evansville team that, while they are about 230th in the country with regards to points allowed on a per-possession basis, this Evansville team has been at their best at home. They're giving up 12.4 points fewer per one-hour possessions at home rather than in a roadside church or venue. And for Evansville, they do a nice job of not allowing teams to be able to get those cheap second chances. They are 34th in the country in terms of fewest free throw attempts allowed per possession on defense and they allow opponents to rebound just 22.3% of their missed shots in their home games as 50th in all of college basketball in Southern Illinois. They've been able to do a nice job on the glass as well. Opponents are only able to grab about 23.5% of their missed shots in a roadside shooter environment. They are 39th in the country with regards to defensive rebound rate and while Johnson gets all the love, you've got Clarence Rupert down low who's been able to give you about 6 boards, 8.5 points per contest and for Southern Illinois, outside of Mr. Johnson, you've got 4 separate guys Rupert being one of them, that all give you between 8.3 and 9.3 points per contest. Your top three-point shooter is Sharon Brown, shooting about 38.5% from distance. And if you're in a nip-and-tuck sort of situation, Southern Illinois' top three scores all do shoot at least 84% of the free line end for Evansville. They have been able to get their scoring back up and running with Ben Humor Riches being back in the fold as he was out for much of the month of January. You'll notice that Evansville just completely cratered with their offensive numbers that month. And ever since Humor Riches has returned to the fold, they've been able to get to 70 points at each other the last five games. Humor Riches currently shooting 44.5% from three, 15.5 points per contest, and then everyone else, they're trying to be able to support him. As you've got someone like a Yasan Toomey who's been able to give you about 5.5 to 6 rebounds per game, but Evansville, even though they don't allow a lot of second opportunities on the glass, they are still getting pummeled on the glass 269th in the country with regards to their rebound rate. Meanwhile, for Southern Illinois, they're more around 131st in all of college basketball with regards to their rebound rate, so I do think that that is a nice leg up for the Southern Illinois team, though I did set my line at three. I do have a lot of respect for Evansville and the way that they have been able to play with Huma Riches being back in the fold. You've been able to have someone be able to emerge in Chuck Bailey, who's now shooting about 39% from three. He's supplying you with about nine points per contest, and for Southern Illinois, they themselves can be a little bit intermiss with regards to their offense as well, though they have been able to get to at least 68 in their own right in each of the last five games, but I do think that this is going to be a bog down, a little bit of a slower game. I do think that Evansville can have a tough time being able to pop some threes, and I do think that that allows for a lower scoring slog that I think is going to be very tight and competitive. So, my DK Network rate to pick, that is on the total under, and with Southern Illinois, Southern is a three-point favorite, so at three and a half, it is going to be a take for me on Evansville. 825-826 on the bank board, Cleveland State. It's a red face-off against Robert Morris. Old Bobby Morris is a underdog at home of a point Total on this game, going to be getting it anywhere between 146 and 147. And with Robert Morris, I did set them as a favorite of 2.5 points. I'm going to be willing to ride with them on the money line. It's a Cleveland State unit that has been pretty solid at being able to check so many different boxes, but they don't necessarily do one thing great. They're a top 75 team with regards to turnovers force on a per-possession basis. I do like their top guy who's able to just completely stuff the stat sheet as Tristan and Aruna has been able to give you about 16 points, 6 plus boards, shoots in the mid-30s from 3 points, but Cleveland State, they're outside the top 230 with regards to their rebound rate. Cleveland State has been quite solid with the way that they've been able to guard the arc to their credit. Cleveland State is allowing opponents to shoot from 3 points right in that cluster of about 31.6%. Expands to about 32.5% away from home, but they've been able to do a solid job on that front. Going up against a Robert Morris team as well outside the top 250 with regards to points allowed on a per-possession basis and they have been 208th in the country with regards to opponents' three-point shooting percentage, but that falls off to 32.7% when they're at home, 35.7% in a roadside shooter car venue. But the big edge that Robert Morris does have is the way that they're able to play down low as they've been able to get 
right around about eight and a half rebounds per game out of Marquise Hastings, who's been able to shoot just below 40% from three-point range, chipping in their 15-plus points per contest, while Josh Corbin has been able to help the team out as well. Was expecting much more of Justice Williams, a former top 350 recruit that began his career at LSU. He's still been able to give you double figures. He throws in there two and a half assists, but he's got darn near as many assists as turnovers. It's not really shot it well from three-point range. Meanwhile, the rest of this Cleveland State team, it's really a whole is greater than the sum of its parts sort of effort. You've got these guys like Drew Lauder, Tate Williams combining for about 24 points per contest. Lauder's been able to shoot about 35% from three and for Cleveland State. They do as a whole turn the ball for only about 10 and a half times for contest, but big little trepidation that you do have with Cleveland State late in this game is if they have to go to the free throw line. They shoot as collective 67.1%, and I do think that that is something that needs to be taken into account for. On top of that, this has been a team that has been really struggling on glass all season long with Robert Morris. They've been one of your better rebound rate teams in the Ryzen League. They're about 135th in all of college basketball. Meanwhile, with Cleveland State, this team is just 262nd in the country with regards to a rebound rate. Cleveland State should be able to win the turnover battle, but I do think that Robert Morris finds a way to be able to win from within. Both of these teams are relatively mid-tempo, so I do think that we went just a little bit too far with regards to this total with a Cleveland State team that has been hot and cold with regards to their offense, scoring 71 points or fewer in three of their last five games. Meanwhile, you've got a Robert Morris team that they've scored 71 points or fewer in regulation in four of their last five. So, did some a total at a 144.5. Look at under and with Robert Morris, made them the two and a half point favorite. So, Leonard Robert Morris on the money line to go along with that under 827, 828 on the betting board. It is Ryder and they play as Quinnipiac. Quinnipiac finds themselves in a pick'em game slash as a one to one and a half point underdog on the road. Your total on this game, it is 153.5 to 154.5. Made Quinnipiac the two-point favorite. I'm going to be willing to take them out right on the money line. Quinnipiac was just the victims of catching a falling knife a few nights ago against a Fairfield team that could not miss from three, and certainly do think that Quinnipiac falls off a little bit with regards to their three-point training after they shot well north of 40% from three-point range, much to the chagrin of the under in that game from Friday, but I like the way that this Quinnipiac team is operating. They're still a top 85 team in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis, and I think they match up to well down low. Paul Otinio, Lanthamari Tice have been able to combine for 13.9 boards, three steals per contest, and both shoot north of 38% from three-point range. And this is a Quinnipiac team that they do make their shots. They shoot north of 35% from three-point range, and in a late nip-and-tuck game, this bunch is shooting as a collective about 77.8% the free throw line. That's the top 30 mark in all of college basketball. Quinnipiac is about 94th in all of college basketball the guards rebound rate. Ryder just a little bit above that. Ryder is about 79th to 80th and for Ryder you've got a trio of guys that do give you at least 6 rebounds per game. TJ Weeks, Mervyn James, Tyreek Ingram with James being your do-it-all sort of player. A block, a seal, 18 half points to go along with those boards and shoots 42% from 3 and for Ryder the numbers are a little bit misleading because if you look at Ryder overall for the season they're shooting about 34% from 3 point range which that's not great that's not terrible but in conference play, Ryder has really been able to pick it up. TJ Weeks is someone that has been a career about 35 or so percent. Three-point shooter was always averaging about nine points per contest over at UMass. He had a really rough start to begin the season, but has now been able to turn it on very much recently. This was a bunch that, in non-conference play, they were shooting well below 30% from three-point range, but you look at these guys and what they've been able to do in conference play. Weeks along with Mervyn James, between the two of them, they're shooting north of 42% from three-point range. Ruben Rodriguez, who hasn't seen a lot of burn 
but he sometimes gets a few minutes. He's shooting about 55% from three-point range. As a matter of fact, everyone that has made at least one three for Ryder in conference play is shooting at least 34.8% from three-point range. So it has been quite night and day on that front. But I do think the Quinnipiac is going to do a little bit of a better job of being able to guard the perimeter than they did the last time around. There are just some games that they become a little bit harebrained, and that is certainly one of them. And they do have a better perimeter defense than this Ryder bunch. Ryder, with regards to opponent's three-point shooting percentage, you're clocking at about 266th in all of college basketball, allowing opponents to shoot 35.6% from three-point range when they are at home. And Quinnipiac, despite the rough performance on Friday, they're still clocking in with regards to opponent's three-point shooting percentage at 32.9% away from home. That has jumped to about 36.5% at home, so that's been a little bit of an issue for them, but I do think that they're going to be able to do a, match, do a good job matching up down low. And then on top of that, Safion Lewis. He's been able to give this Quinnipiac team north of seven assists per contest, a top five player with regards to assists per game, while Matt Blanich has been able to give you 18.5 points per game. This for a Quinnipiac team that they've gotten to at least 79 points in four of their last five games, going up against a Ryder team that they have been up and down with regards to their defense. They've given up 75 plus in three of their last five games, but I do think that Quinnipiac, despite the fact that they are a top 70 team with regards to possessions per game, they're going to do just enough to be able to keep this game under, and I like Quinnipiac to be able to pull this one off. I said Quinnipiac is a two-point favorite. Looking at them on the money line, somebody told 152, so also looking under. 829-830 on the betting board. Northern Kentucky plays us IEPUI. Old EWPUI is a 17.5 to an 18-point underdog with your total between 145 and 145.5. I said IEPUI is an underdog of 18 points. Not one to lay much more than 17.5, but I'm going to be one to lay it for IEPUI. They're outside the top 275 in terms of points scored and points allowed on a per-possession basis along with turnovers on a per-possession basis. Three-point shooting offense, three-point shooting defense. Right now, they've got Jalen Counter going for them. Jalen Counter has been able to give you about 15 points or is in their four boards. That's been respectable from three-par range. And that's sad. There's not a lot lot else. Quanzi Samuels has been able to give you five rebounds per game. And the good news for IEPUI is that they go up against the Northern Kentucky unit that really doesn't have anyone that's batting down the hatches down low. They're about 240th in the country in terms of rebound rate. Trey Robinson has been able to give you about six and a half rebounds per game. But that's that you haven't been able to get a lot. And this team has been dealing with the ailment to Sam Vincent all season. He went down just before Christmas, was very versatile with 13 points, five boards. And yet, somehow, some way, the team has been able to persevere. They only shoot about 30 and a half percent from three-point range, but they've got a go-to scorer. Marcus Warwick was able to give you about 19 and a half points per game. They've been able to find good versatility in LJ Wells, who's now shooting 40% from the outside, supplying the team with about eight and a half points, five and a half boards, and the one thing that Northern Kentucky has been able to do a really good job of is just flat out taking the ball away. On top of that, the three-point shooting defense. They are 29th in all of college basketball with regards to opponent's three-point shooting percentage, all while being able to generate a bunch of turnovers. You find with a lot of these teams that generate a lot of turnovers, they don't do a good job of being able to guard the arc. Northern Kentucky is a little bit of a outlier in that they're able to do both. As Northern Kentucky, with regards to turnovers force on a per-possession basis, they are currently finding themselves in the top 50 in all of college basketball. And with IEPY, this is not a team that they generate a lot of turnovers. You've got someone in Bryce Monroe who's been able to give you a little bit in the backcourt. And last season, you were able to get some really good production out of Vincent Brady shooting in the mid-30s from three-point range. It just has not been there this season. And now I have to go up against a Northern Kentucky team that does a good job 
job with their defense of locking you down from three-point range, taking away the ball, and with IUPUI not able to take advantage of Northern Kentucky's deficiencies down low, I do think that this game gets quite ugly. I did set my number at a 142 in terms of the total of Northern Kentucky while outside the top 225 in terms of total possessions per game. It is an IUPUI team that has bleeding points. This team has given up at least 79 points in every single game this month, and for that matter, last time they gave up less than 78 points in a game. You have to go back 10 games ago, but I do think that with Northern Kentucky, they do lock things down with their pretty solid defense, and I do think that that makes this a little bit of a lower-scoring game. Looking at the under, and I'm going to be one lay up to 17.5 with Northern Kentucky. 831-832 on the betting board. It is Purdue on the road facing off against Michigan. Michigan is a underdog of 13 to 13.5 points at home. Total on this game between 151.5 and 152. I set my line at 11.5. Fully recognize that Purdue is the better team in this spot, but you do actually have Doug McDaniel in the fold for this Michigan team, and Michigan has a talent to be able to hold in there. Now, they're missing Olivier Kamwa. Kamwa has been your top rebounder. He's been able to supply the team with double figures, and he's able to pop it from three-part range, but I do think that having McDaniel out there is going to be so big. He's the team's top scorer with 16.5 points. Gives you 4.5 assists per contest now for Purdue, with Kamwa now being out of the fold, because it's a Michigan team that was in the top 125 with regards to rebound rate. Now they're going to get bludgeoned by giant of the earth, Zach Eady, who's able to give you 11.5 boards, 23.5 points per game, and for Purdue, the three-point shooting, I just can't get over this. Out of their top eight scorers, all of them shoot at least 36.4% from three. All but one of them shoot at least 41.3% from three. Talk about balance. This Purdue team is in the top five nationally in terms of both three-point shooting percentage and points scored on a per-possession basis. Braden Smith, along with... Lance Jones both give you about 13 points per contest. Smith, 7 assists, 5.5 rebounds per game against a Michigan team that's, well, outside the top 280 with regards to points a lot on a per-possession basis. And honestly, for Michigan, the big concern has been offensively. This Michigan team has not been able to cross the 72-point plateau this month. They've gotten past 73 points just once since the turn of the calendar as well, and that was against an Iowa team that's just given up points upon points, but I do think that you're going to be able to get a relatively solid effort out of someone like a Terrace Reed who's been able to do a solid job being able to give this team right in the neighborhood about seven rebounds per contest. He's been pretty solid with a block and a half down low. It is a Michigan team that still does shoot about 37% from three-point range as well. You've got a 40% three-point shooter in Terrence Williams who recognized that he's been a little bit in and out of the full, but he should be good to go in this one. He was out there in that game against Northwestern, so I do think the Michigan has enough to be able to hold in there offensively. I do think that this is going to be a little bit of a higher scoring expose with the way that Michigan has just been bleeding points and I do think that now that you've got Doug McDaniel actually out there on the floor and I believe that he has served all of his suspension games on the road. I could be mistaken on that but I do think that that's going to help chemistry wise for Michigan. I do think that they're going to fight a little bit for Juwan Howard who's right now catching a little bit of flack for the way that the team has played this far this season. So I'm going to be willing to take the points with Michigan. Made them an 11.5 point underdog and set my total 153 so also looking at the over. 833-834 on the betting board. It is Memphis. They play off to Florida Atlantic. Florida Atlantic, we give our Lane Kiffin. Go Owls. Mary, one to two point favor. We have your total, 158 and a half. Couldn't be one lay with Florida Atlantic. Initially set them as a two-point favorite. Went up to three points after I realized that Malcolm Dandridge was not going to be in the fold for this one. I'm not sure why Malcolm Dandridge is not in the fold for this one, but he's not in the fold for this one. And you've got for Memphis pretty much the Dobby Jones show. And he's been tremendous. 21 half points, seven half boards. He shoots 40% from three-point Offense has not really been the issue for Memphis, but you would expect with someone like Jones, you would expect with Nikwan Tomlin that this team would be good on the 
glass. Their wallets had the top 125 with regards to the rebound rate. Florida Atlantic is going to be able to win that battle down low because you've got Vladislav Golden who's able to give you six half boards, 14 and a half points per game. And while we all talk about John L. Davis and what he provides on offense for a Florida Atlantic team that's in the top 30 nationally, in terms of points scored on a per possession basis, he also throws in there with his 18 and a half points, six and a half boards per contest. He's been able to shoot about 45 and a half percent from three par range. And if you do find yourself in a nip and tuck game as well for Florida Atlantic, out of your top five scorers. All but one of them, and that would be Mr. Golden, who I just mentioned, does shoot at least 77.5% at the free throw line as well. You've got Mr. Nicholas Boyd, who's been able to give you 10 points, shooting 37% from the outside. And for Memphis, the team has just been really giving it up from three-point range, and they just haven't necessarily gotten a boost at home. They're well outside the top 120 in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis. Memphis is allowing opponents to shoot 34.9% from three-point range during 56 in all of college basketball. Now, for Florida Atlantic, they're giving up well north of 11 points more per one possessions when they leave home rather than when they are at home. And for Florida Atlantic, they allow opponents to shoot just 29.7% from three-point range at home. That balloons up to 36.7% away from home. And you do have Javon Quinterly on the flip side for Memphis, who's been able to give the team right around five assists. He's been able to supply the team with a double-figure amount of points. But having out of the fold so many of these guys, like, I know that they had leaving the team earlier in the season, Mr. Jordan Brown, they thought Caleb Mills, who's been dealing with a little bit of an injury, has been out since January 4th. So that's been a big issue for them. You've got Jaquan Moulton, who hasn't been too effective. I do think the Florida Atlantic finds a way to be able to get the job done here on the road. I set them as a three-point favorite. And both of these teams have very good offenses. Both of these teams have defensive worries. And Florida Atlantic has actually gotten to at least 80 points in each other the last four games. So, did somebody told 161, looking at the over, and I'm looking to lay it with Florida Atlantic. 835-836 on the bank board. Fairfield is going to be playing us to Siena. Siena is a underdog of 16.5 points with your total 144.5. Set my line at 13.5. Sienna stinks. I just don't think they stink this bad because they should have their main two scorers out there on the floor. You've got a pair of guys in Michael Ely, Lanshan Duragorn, who have been able to supply the team with about 32.5 points per contest. They've been able to combine for about 13.5 rebounds per game. Ely was able to play against Canisius for about 16 minutes about a week or so ago, so he should be good to go. Drew Gordon in that game, he was playing against St. Peter's, the old Peacocks, about a week or so ago. He was able to give the team about 27 minutes, so you should have them back out there on the floor, but they have been mysteries all season long. You've got Zach Tekken, who's able to give you three assists per contest, and let's call it what it is. Sienna, they're outside the top 330 in terms of points scored on a per-possession basis, or a bottom 10 team in terms of retaining the ball, and they're also outside the top 250 with regards to points allowed on a per possession basis while shooting 64.5% the free throw line and 27.5% from three-point range, but Drew Gordon along with Ely, they just give you a whole different dimension. Meanwhile, you've got a fair field bunch and they're really rolling up the points. They have been able to get past the 80-point plateau in three of their last five games. Now, this has been a defense that can be had a little bit throughout the season, but they've also given up 67 or fewer in three of their last five games. It's a fair field team that, at home, they actually do allow opponents to shoot 35% from three-point range, but I just don't know who on Siena is going to be able to take advantage of that You've got a Fairfield team that has Bryson Goodine, who's been able to give you double figures. He's able to shoot about 44% from three-point range. Additionally, you've been able to get really good production out of Jasper Floyd. Doesn't give you a ton of scoring, but he's been able to give the team about 9.5 points, 6.5 boards, 4.5 assists, 2 seals per contest. So he impacts the game in so many different ways. And Fairfield, they're not an up-tempo team, but they're no longer super-duper slow like they were a few seasons ago. A few seasons ago under Jay Young, this team was just so slow. They were outside the top 325 in terms of total possessions per game. They been able to speed things up, and now they go up against a Siena unit that they have not been able to break the 70-point plateau in... 
really any of their games in their last 10. They were able to score approximately 70 against Quinnipiac on January 19th, but it has been all sorts of ghastly there, which is why I did bog down this sort of the 137.5. It is a Fairfield team that is outside the top 125 with your points a lot on a per possession basis, but honestly, they've been able to hit the road. They've been able to play quite effectively there. It is a Fairfield team that's outside the top 225 with regards to rebound rate, and Siena has actually been in the upper half of college basketball in terms of their rebound rate. You've got a pair of guys who've been able to combine for in that neighborhood of about 13 or so rebounds per game, as you've got Michael Ivra-Brow, hopefully I said that correctly, along Giovanni Amaruju. These two guys, they've been able to do a solid job down low, and you've been able to get about a block per contest as well, out of Killian Grebin as well, so I do think that for Siena, they're going to be able to hold up a little bit more down low, and what I think is going to be a little bit more of a slog of a game, did somebody told 137F, looking at the under end, won't take 16 and a half here with Siena. 837-838 on the big board, Iona hits the road face off against Mount St. Mary's. This is a pick game with your total at 147 and I did set Iona as an underdog of 2.5 points. I'm going to be willing to lay it with the Mount. Mount St. Mary's has been able to cut down on the turnovers a little bit recently and that's big because his team was really ghastly on that front to begin the season. They had to transfer the point guard duties over from Jalen Benjamin to Dakota Lafew who's been very solid recently. 17.5 points, 3.8 assists per contest. He is still turning the ball over about 2.8 times for contest but He's been able to lock that down quite a bit. Now, you do want to note, in the team's game against Fairfield about a week or so ago, was limited to just 13 minutes in that game. He did not make an appearance in that game against St. Peter's. The team lost that game by kind of 70-65, to 65, but the team was still fine defensively without him. There's a chance that he might be able to go in this one, and if he does not, you're probably looking at the duo of Joshua Reeves along to Shane Montgomery taking over the reins. These two guys have been able to give you combined about 35 points in that game, and overall for the season, both of these guys have been relatively relatively solid. With Montgomery, he's able to give you about two assists, two steals, shoots 36.5% from three. Reeve, he's able to shoot 37% from the outside. Lafayette wasn't necessarily the supernatural point guard for the team. And then you've got Dallas Hobbs, who's able to give out the ball a little bit as well. So I do think that this team is going to be fine on that front, though. Hobbs, I know that he's been a little bit hubbled as well, for lack of a better term. But Monte Mary's is also a team that ranks in the top one with regards to rebound rate, despite the fact that they don't have a single guy that gives you an earth of five rebounds per game. Meanwhile, Iona, They've been dealing with the ailments of their own. Greg Gecko Gordon, he's their top scorer. 16.7 at boards. He did not play in the team's last game. It sounds like he's going to be back out of the fold as well. They've been dealing with injuries all season long to Eden Tretout. He is back in the fold, and he's been able to give the team about 14 points, shooting 35.5% for three. For Diana Bunchett, is in the top 30 with regards to turnovers force on a per-possession basis. If you include Mr. Gecko Gordon, each other top six scores have been able to give you at least a seal per contest, and you've been able to get really good three-point shooting out of Jim. Edward Gurren, who's been able to give you about nine points. Hopefully I said that correctly, shooting 46.5% from three-par range, but... Iona has been all over the place in terms of their offense and in a crunch time spot. This Iona team is shooting 65.2% at the free throw line. That's a little bit of an issue with having Osborne Shema just not being what they were hoping he'd be this year. A 7-footer that's only giving you about 3 boards and a block per contest. I do think that despite the fact that Mount St. Mary's is a little bit banged up, that they're going to be able to persevere and get the job done here on their home floor. I did set Mount St. Mary's as a 2.5 point favorite, so going to be willing to take them on the Spickham line. And because you do have Key injuries are really a lot of top scorers in both of these games. I did have to bog down my total a little bit as well. And it's not like Iona has been playing super fast, even though Mount St. Mary's has been cranking up their tempo this season. So, did set my total at 144.5. I'm looking at the under. And with Mount St. Mary's taking them on this pick'em line, made them a 2.5 point favorite. 
8.9840 on the betting board. St. Peter's is going to be playing with some Maris. Maris is a underdog of two points. So on this game, 121. And I set my total at a 122 and a half. I'm going to be willing to take a look at the over. Maris and St. Peter's are well outside the top 250 in terms of points scored on a per possession basis. But I will say for Maris, they've gotten to at least 67 in three out of their last four games. And for St. Peter's, they've gotten to at least 70 in three out of their last five games. So things are looking up for both of these offenses. You've got a pair of teams that they do rank in the uh, top 40 in terms of points allowed on a per possession basis, and these two teams are very much slugs with regards to the way that they run it and gun it up and down the floor. And then for St. Peter's, good news for them. They now have Corey Washington back in the fold. He was missing throughout the month of February early on. He's back. He's giving you 16 points, 6 boards. That does put me a little bit more on the over, and that does put me a little bit more on St. Peter's as well. I did set them as a 2.5 point favorite. If Washington were out of the fold, I think that this line would be very different, but you've got a St. Peter's team that their primary source of offense right now is getting second chances. They're a top 45 team in all of college basketball with regards to percentage of missed shots that do result in an offensive rebound. Now, they've got Michael Hoagie, who's now back out of the fold. He's been able to give the team about 5.5 rebounds per game, so that's a little bit of an issue, but for Maris, this isn't the world's worst three-point shooting team. They shoot about 36% from the outside. You've got a pair of guys in Javon Cooley, coupled with Jackson Price, who have both been able to shoot north of 43% from three-point range. They've been able to give you a combined about 13 and a half points per contest. It's actually a Maris team that despite the fact that they've been so good on defense, they don't have a single guy that gives you north of five rebounds per game. Right now, their top rebounder is Isaiah Brickner, who gives you six points, five boards, two and a half assists. He's a little bit of a do-it-all point guard for the team. And then Max Allen, he's been able to chip in there about four boards, 12 points per contest. You've been able to get a little bit more facilitation as well. Jane Collins, who's been able to give you three assists, nine points per contest. Um, it's been a whole greater than the sum of its parts effort for Maris. And both of these teams, they certainly do a nice job of being able to lock it down from three-point Maris, they are 46th in all of college basketball with regards to opponent's three-point shooting percentage. Meanwhile, the St. Peter's Peacocks team, while they do a nice job on the glass, they also only allow you to shoot about 31.9% from three-point inch at home. I do think that this is going to be a low-scoring slog, but I do think that this is going to be a very close game, and I do think that this is going to be a game close enough for late game felling, and with the way that both of these offenses have shown a little bit more of a heartbeat, I'm going to be willing to take a look at the over, and with Washington back for St. Peter's, I do think that they get the job done. Set St. Peter's as a two and a half point favorite, I'm going to be willing to lay the number in. Seven 22 and a half. Also looking at the over. 841, 842 on the betting board. It is Oakland playing us a right state. Right state looks to be the right side as they are a four and a half point underdog with your total 159. And with right state, I did set them as a three point dog. So I'm going to be willing to take the four and a half. Oakland has been the worst team in all of college basketball in terms of defensive efficiency at home this season. It blows my mind. Actually, they were the worst team in all of college basketball last week at this time. They've been passed up by Hampton, Houston, Christian, IEPY, and Detroit. But when you're finding yourself in company with those schools, that's not so great to say the least. As Oakland, I'm not even kidding when I say this, they're giving up 10 more points per one hour possessions at home rather than away from home. I have no idea how to quantify that. I have no idea how that happens, but they have been a horrible defense when they've been at home. And guess who else has been a horrible defense? Wright State. They are outside the top 300 in terms of points allowed on a per possession basis, but this team is able to throw it in the bucket. You've got a pair of guys, Trey Kelvin, along Tanner Holden, who have been able to give you combined 36 points, 7 half assists per contest, and Calvin has been able to shoot about 41.5% from 3 points for a right state team as a whole. They are shooting about 38% from 3 point range. That's the top 40 mark in all of college basketball, and they should have a nice little bit of an edge down low. Brandon Noel, A.J. Brown, 
these two guys have been able to give you about 13 and a half rebounds per game. Right State hasn't been like super almighty with regards to their rebounding, but they're going up against an Oakland team that's about 112th in the country with regards to their rebound rate. Right State, they're about 106th. And for Oakland, they very much rely upon Trey Townsend to do a little bit of everything. 7.5 boards, 16.5 points, 3 assists, shoots about 37.5% from 3. And now you do have out of your top 3 scores for Oakland Every one of them shooting at least 36% from three-point inch. Rocket Watts continues to be as useful as a poopy flavor lollipop with his eight points per contest, but you've been able to have Jack Golke be able to supply the team with about 12 points. Shoots 36% from three-point range, but again, with this Oakland team, they're just so bad with their defense when they're at home. It's just absolutely mind-blowing. Now, they've been on a nice run recently. They've actually given up 63 points or fewer in each of their last four games. The only game that was at home was against IEPY, and they put up 107 in that game, so they oversold cash. Meanwhile, for this right State unit. Last time they played against Oakland, this was a 74 to 60 slog, which I don't know where that came from, but both of these teams, they were just really not able to do a good job of being able to get into their offense. The rebounding was very good on both sides. I do think that you're going to see both of these teams hit quite a few more shots, and for Wright State, sans that game, they have been able to get past the 75-point plateau in pretty much every single one of their games. I believe this calendar year, sans I think there was one game against Youngstown State in mid to late January where they didn't. So in all but two of their games this calendar year, they've gotten to at least 75 points. I think that you get a high-scoring expose here. Semi-total 163. I'm looking at the over. And with Oakland, go ahead and make them a three-point favorite. So, also taking the points with Wright State. 843, 844 on the betting board. UW-Milwaukee is going to be playing us for Fort Wayne. Fort Wayne is a underdog of one to one and a half points. Throwing this game is between 157 to 157 and a half. Made UW-Milwaukee the two-point favorite. I'm going to be willing to lay the number. For this Fort Wayne unit, they honestly have been relatively solid in terms of their defense. They're a top 75 team in all of college basketball in terms of opponents' three-point shooting percentage where they're just not able to hold up is on the glass. They are outside the top 280 with regards to rebound rate against the UW-Milwaukee team that they have been ghastly on defense. UW-Milwaukee is 314th in all of college basketball. There's points a lot on a per-possession basis going against a Fort Wayne team that's actually 72nd in all of college basketball. For Fort Wayne, they're allowing a point and a half less per 100 possessions in a roadside shoot score venue rather than at home, but I do have my trepidation of them because they have also been giving up the perimeter just a little bit more when they have been on the road, allowing opponents to shoot 33.5% for three-point and shot. There's a UW-Milwaukee team that in terms of opponents' three-point shooting percentage, they are about 225th in all of college basketball, but they've got the best player out there on the floor, in my opinion. That would be Mr. BJ Turnitup Freeman. He's been tremendous in giving you about six boards, throws in there 19 and a half points, four and a half assists, shoots 36.5% for three-point range, and then Eric Pratt also shoots 36.5% from the outside. It's a UW-Milwaukee team that is turned the ball over about 13 times through contest, but they go up against a right state team that, other than Eric Mulder, who's been able to give you about six and a half rebounds per game, they don't have a lot down low. Now, credit where credit is due for Fort Wayne. One of the best teams at being able to take care of the ball. They play at a top 75 pace with regards to total possessions per game yet. They only turn the ball over about 10.2 times for contest. Quentin Morton Robinson along Jalen Jackson have been able to combine for 29.5 points per contest. They both shoot north of 41.5% from three-point range. And then you've got Rasheed Bellow who's been so good for this bunch, comes in from the great state of Wisconsin over at UW Parkside, and he's really not going to give you a lot in terms of three-point shooting, but he's just that guy to be able to facilitate good offense. Four assists, 15 points, three boards, see on after contest, and in terms of turnover sports on a per-possession basis, this Fort Wayne team is a top 30 team in all of college basketball, but I do have a little bit of a concern that this Fort Wayne team is going to have a little bit of a tough time being able to generate that offense. They're a top 100 team with regards to points scored on a per-possession basis, but they do take a little bit 
bit of a fall when they're away from home. Going up against a UW-Milwaukee team that is averaging about 9.6 points more per one-hour possessions at home rather than in a roadside shooter court venue. It is a Fort Wayne team that has been able to find it much more on defense recently. They've given up 71 or fewer in each other last four games. Going up against a UW-Milwaukee team that in regulation because they have played a pair of overtime games against Youngstown State recently, but in regulation only, they have been able to do a nice job being able to hold up there as they have given up fewer than 73 points each out of the last four games. So a very interesting circumstance here. I did semi-total at a 158. I do think that both of these teams are going to be able to get some good offense going, and I do think that this could be a game that comes down to the final possession. So looking at the over of the UW-Milwaukee, I do think that they win from within along with B.J. Freeman taking over the game. Set UW-Milwaukee is a two-point favorite, so one delay of the one to one half and looking at the over. 845-846 on the banking board. Youngstown State hits the road face off against UW-Green Bay, and Green Bay does find themselves as an underdog of five points with your total on this game, 142.5. Set Green Bay as a 5.5 point underdog. So, could it be one to lay with the Youngstown State? Initially, I had my line closer to 3.5, but with Noah Reynolds either A, not being in this game altogether, or B, playing in this game but being far less than 100%. I actually have connections over there in the great state of Wisconsin. I know people I cover the team. They're thinking he's probably not going to be coming back until the conference tournament. Now, we shall see about that. I'm not saying that for fact, but that's right now what they're anticipating. It's not good to say the least. And Reynolds is one of the most do-it-all players at the mid-major level. 20 points, 4 boards, 4 assists, shoots 35% from 3-point range. Everything runs through him over at UW-Green Bay. And you can tell that they really missed him as they lose that game to Fort Wayne by a count of 85-59. to UW-Green Bay has been a top 225 team with regards to points allowed on a per possession basis and they just got bludgeoned in that game. It's a UW-Green Bay team that's been holes greater than some of its parts because they do have so many guys that they're able to do a nice job playing off of one another and now without their main floor general out there it makes it very difficult for them. They still do have some relatively solid three-point shooters but you're left with oh Reynolds nobody that's averaging north of 8.5 points per game. Elijah Jones along David Douglas both give you about 8.5 points per contest you've got Jones shooting 53.5% for three but guess who's shutting up setting up a lot of those shots. You guess it, Noah Reynolds. Meanwhile, you take a look at this Youngstown State team, and I was alluding to this with Rob Donaldson. They have been a very good defense as far this season when they hit the road. Youngstown State, in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis, they're under fourth in all of college basketball. They're actually giving up three-tenths of a point fewer per one on possessions in a roadside shoot court venue rather than at home. And if you look at just their roadside shoot court splits, they're on top 75 defense in all of college basketball. They've been able to get really nice production out of Ziggy Reed and DJ Turnit up Burns. They've been able to combine for about 28 points per contest. Burns, 10.5 boards, 2.5 assists. Reed shoots 39.5% from three-point range against a UW-Green Bay team that overall for the season, they've done a nice job of locking down from three-point range. They allow opponents to shoot just 28.6% from distance when they're at home this far this season, but Youngstown State has also been a very good perimeter defense away from home. They allow opponents to shoot 40% from three-point range at home and 29.8% away from home. I have no idea how that happens, but I mean, that's the rising league for you kids. And then you've got Brett Thompson who's been able to give you about 12.5 points. He does a nice job giving you about four assists per contest for a Youngstown State team that really doesn't turn the ball over. 11 turnovers per game. Youngstown State not playing quite as quickly as they did a season ago. And the defense, it has been a little bit touch and go for them. They have now given up at least 77 points in each of their last five games. Two of those games did come in overtime, though, so I do take that with a little bit more of a grain of salt. And for UW-Green Bay, the offense, it has been a little bit rudderless without Noah Reynolds in the fold, and I do think that that is going to be the case here last time these two teams played. Reynolds was actually out of the fold, and that was an 84-83 to win for UW-Green Bay, but 
We had to shoot from three-point range, 14 of 29. I don't think that Lightning is going to strike twice. I do think that things are going to be bogged down. I set my total at 141.5. Looking at the under of the Youngstown State, I'm on delay up to five with them. 847, 848 on the bank board. Temple, we give our own delay. Kiffin, go Elves. If they're, they're facing off against Wichita State, Wichita State, a six and a half point favorite. Your total on this game, 142 to 141 and a half. It's at my total 141.5. Seeing some 142s pop up. I'm going to be taking a look at the under on 142.5. Got a Wichita State unit that has been up, down, and all around with regards to their offense. They're well outside the top 150 with regards to points scored on a purpose basis because they simply can't splash it in there from three-point range. As a collective, they're shooting between 30.5% and 31% from three-point range for Wichita State. Defense hasn't been horrible on the road. They're only giving up five points more per one hour possessions when they leave home rather than when they are at home. And they get to go up against the Temple team as well outside the top 250 in terms of points scored on a per possession basis. Temple also shooting in that pocket about 30-31% to 31% from three-point range. And Temple has had their issues on defense as well. 225th in all of college basketball with regards to points allowed on a per possession basis says for Temple it's been all about Heisier Miller being able to help out the backcourt. He's done a nice job chipping in there 15 and a half points, 4 assists but he only shoots 25 and a half percent for 3 and as a matter of fact for the Simple team you've right now got 2 guys that have made at least a 3 this season that are shooting above 33% from the outside. That has been not too terrific to say the least. You've been able to get a little bit of rebounding out of some of these guys like you've been able to have Jaleel White along with Jordan Riley both be able to give you about 6 or so rebounds per contest. Riley has been able to chip in there about 12.5 points per game, but like all these guys have been banged up throughout the season. Steve Settle has missed a little bit of time. And then for Wichita State, this has been a relatively solid team on the glass. You've got a trio of guys that have all been able to give you at least 5.5 rebounds per game and Kenny Poto, Dale Original, along Quincy Ballard, these three guys, they'll give you between about 7.3 and 9.5 points per contest. So, I'd like to see them take that up just a little bit, but Wichita State, about 79th in all of college basketball, the guards of rebound rate. Temple, meanwhile, they're clocking in more on 266th, and for this Wichita State team, even though they don't do an amazing job with their offense, they've got the best score in this game. That'd be Kobe Rogers, 15.5 points, shoots about 38.5% from three-point range. Now, every one of the other guys on the roster, aside from one other gentleman who's been able to shoot about 34.5% for three, registering four points per contest, and Isaac Abadi, I mean, all these guys are shooting 33 and percent or less from three-point range, so I do think that this is going to be a bit of a game where we're not going to see a lot of offense, but that said, I do think that that leads to domination for this Wichita State team, a Wichita State team that has been able to do a nice job with their defense. 72 points of fear surrendered in four of their last five games. Lone exception was their game that went to overtime against Florida Atlantic, so going to be one to dive in on the under, and with Wichita State, made them a nine and a half point favorite, so going to be one to lay the number. 849-850 on the betting board. VCU plays us to St. Joe's. St. Joe's have to not be average. Joe's as five to five and point underdogs with your total between 142 and a half to 143 set VCU as a five point favorite so here seeing the five and a half pop up it is going to be my buy point on St. Joe's St. Joe's has really fallen on tough times with their defense they're now outside the top 145 in terms of points allowed on a per possession basis and all of a sudden they're starting to give up the arc as well they were really good three point shooting defense to begin the season now they're allowing opponents to shoot 36.3 percent from three points when they're away from home going up against a VCU unit that has been dominant with regards to not giving it up from beyond the arc. They are ninth in the country in terms of opponent's three-point shooting percentage and for VCU. The offense has been one that has been inconsistent to say the least. North of 12 turnovers per game has been costly for them. They're playing relatively slowly, but the team has been great with their defense. 56th in all of college basketball. There's a points a lot on a per possession basis, but 
Not a VCU team that all season long, they've been dealing with a bunch of injuries. Sean Beristow has been in and out of the fold. Joe Bejmili, he's been solid ever since he's been able to return with a double-figure amount of points per game, but now you're dealing with the injury to Seb Jackson. So the main guy for the team has been Max Scholgo, who's been able to give you 15 points. He throws in there about 3.5 assists. She's 41.5% from 3 points for a VCU team. that do, They do shoot 36% from the outside. And for VCU, their top 75 team with regards to rebound rate, despite the fact that Toby Lyle is the only guy in the roster that gives you north of 5.3 rebounds per game. And for St. Joe's, it's a top-heavy team, but it's a solid team. St. Joe's has Eric Reynolds being able to supply about 16.5 points, shoots about 39% from three-point while the two Browns, Xavier Brown along Cameron Brown, they've been able to do a nice job of being able to supply the team with about 24.5 points per contest. With Xavier Brown, he shoots 42% from three with three assists per contest. Cam Brown, he shoots more like 39% from three-point range. And St. Joe's team overall, they're shooting as a collective about 36% from the outside. I do think that St. Joe's is going to be a little bit outgunned down low, but they've been a solid team at being able to pull in there quite a few rebounds as well. St. Joe's about 116th in the country with regards to rebound rate with Rasheed Fleming being able to give you about 12 points, 7 half boards, throws in there a little bit over a block per contest as well. It's been a little bit tough when Chris Odesunko has been out of the fold, but he returned in limited action on Wednesday against George Washington, gave the team 8 points in 12 minutes, probably not going to be back up to his 20-plus minute uh, minute allotment that he typically has, but him just being out there, that should be able to give this team a little bit more of rim protection. This is going to be a game that I think is going to be bogged down in. For St. Joe's, their offense has traveled. They're only registering about 2.5 points less per one possessions when they leave home rather than when they are at home. And as a matter of fact, if you take a look at points scored on a per possession basis away from home, St. Joe's is now a top 50 unit with that regard. So, circumstance where I did set my total 141, I do think that in terms of total possessions, this is a game that just falls under. But I do think that St. Joe's, with their outside shooting, without getting Odasunko back in the fold, that's going to allow them to hold in there. I'm willing to take the 5.5 with St. Joe's and the under 851-852 on the bank board. Michigan State, they play us Ohio State. The Ohio State University is a 9.5 point underdog with your total 130 37 half. I said Michigan State as a nine and a half point favorite. So we're going to be waiting on a little bit of line movement here with Michigan State. This has been a good three point shooting team ever since the first month of the season. They've shot north of 40% ever since that just ghastly month of November. But now you have to go up against a Ohio State team that they just have new life in general under Jake Diebler. It was very clear that things were not working out with Chris Holman. I've just noticed a little bit more fight and a little bit more tenacity out of this team in general. They're getting after it more on defense after they had fallen outside the top 145 with regards to points allowed on a per possession basis. They did have a rough go of it a few nights ago when they went to Minnesota and they gave up 80 points in that one, but this has been an offense that has been quite solid all season long, 73 plus points in far of their last five games with having a pair of guys in the backcourt and Roddy Gale along with Bruce Thornton combined for 30 points per contest. It's a guy in Thornton who's able to give you about 4.3 assists to 1.1 turnovers per game in Ohio State. Though they are a team that's well outside the top 250 with regards to total possessions per game, they do only turn the ball over about 10 times per contest and this offense of Ohio State, it has been able to travel. In terms of points scored on a per-possession basis, that has not been the issue for the team. They are 63rd in the country. They are averaging about 4.9 points per per-runner possessions when they leave home. Meanwhile, got a Michigan State unit that is far better on defense when they're at home rather than away from home. They're registering about 18 points fewer per one-hour possession surrendered at home rather than in a roadside shoot court venue, but Michigan State not necessarily the most dominant team on the glass. You've been able to have a pair of guys in the league call along with Mandy Sissoko combined for about 11 rebounds per game, but Sissoko 
Only gives you about four points per contest. Doesn't really give you a lot on the offensive side of things as everything does rely upon Ty Walker, who's been tremendous with three assists, two steals, 14 points, shoots 38% from three-point range. And for Michigan State, it's a very clean offense. They're well outside the top 225 in terms of total possessions per game, but they only turn the ball over about 9.9 times per contest, so do love to see that. And when it comes to rebound rate, I do think that Ohio State, with having Felix Zapara give you seven boards, north of two blocks per contest, that they're going to do a good job of being able to take things over down low against a Michigan State team that's just 155th in all of college basketball yards of rebound rate. Ohio State more on 105th, and got James Battles able to shoot about 40% from three-point range, but Michigan State has had an innate ability all season long to be able to slow games down. We're starting to see a 138 pop-up. I did something I told 137 half, so you're at the 138, looking at the under, and with regards to the spread, at a nine or less, I'm willing to lay it with Michigan State. Michigan State has been very solid with their offense recently as well. 71 plus points in four out of their last five games. Meanwhile, you've got an Iowa State team that still appears to be a little bit of a work in progress on defense, but improving. So, at a nine or less, one to lay with Michigan State to under more. Take the points with Ohio State in here at the 138, looking under. 853, 854 on the betting board. Tulane plays OC UAB. UAB is a underdog of two and a half points. Your total on game between 161 to 161 half. Made Tulane a favorite of three points. Here at two and a half, I'm going to be one to lay. Tulane is outside the top 300 in terms of rebound rate, but this team is just so tough in the way that they generate turnovers in terms of steals on a per possession basis. Top 75 team in all of college basketball. Each other, top three scores and four other top five scores. I'll give you at least one and a half steals per contest and if you've got good versatility across the board with this team. Other top five scores, all but one of them, give you at least four boards per contest with Kevin Cross being the main man. Four and a half assists, 17 and a half points, seven and a half boards. Turns the ball about 2.8 times for contest, but shoots 36% from three-point Zion James, Colin Holloway. They've been able to combine for about 26 points per contest. And you got James, who's able to shoot about 39% from three-point range. And on the flip side, got a UAB team that's outside the top 250 in terms of three-point shooting percentage at just 31.2%. Now, they do a good job on the glass. They're a top 50 team in the country with regards to percentage of missed shots that do result in an offensive rebound with Yaxa Lindborg being able to supply 10 boards, 13 points, a little bit over two blocks per contest. He has been tremendous as a junior college transfer, but Eric Gaines only shoots about 24% from three-point range. Daniel Ortiz, he's only been able to shoot about 31.5% from three. He supplies the team with about 6.5 points per contest, and additionally, while this team has not shot it well from three-point range, they are 251st in all of college basketball. The guys' opponent's three-point shooting percentage actually falls about 32.2% when they're away from home. I'm not sure how and I'm not sure why, but... They've been a much more successful team when they've been away from home. And honestly, UAB has not benefited too much from being on their home court. Now, the offense is a little bit less effective when they're away from home, but I mean, it's not like it's been too much of a uptick with that regard. And as a matter of fact, this team is only giving up a tenth and a half points more per one hour possessions when they're away from home rather than when they are at home. And for this UAB team, overall, they're 121st in the country in terms of points scored on a per possession basis, only scoring three points fewer per one hour possessions when they're away from home, going up against a two-lane team that's in the top 25 in all of college basketball with regards to total possessions per game, and they certainly do feed off of their home crowd with regards to the offense, being able to generate about 11.3 points more per one-hour possessions when they're at home, so I do think that this is a running, gunned up tempo game. I did some my total 163. I'm looking at the over of Tulane, willing to lay up to 2.5 with them. 855-856 on the banging board. Marquette is going to be playing as Xavier. The X-Men do find themselves as an underdog of 9.5 to 10 points. So on this game, between 156.5 and 157. I mean, Marquette, a nine and a half point favorite. So here at the 10, that is my buy point on Xavier. 
Xavier clearly not the world's greatest defense, and Marquette has actually really been able to do a solid job with their defense all season long. Marquette has been able to climb into the top 45 in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis, and it's been all via generating turnovers. They're a top 25 team with regards to the turnovers force on a per-possession basis, and this is without a doubt. A Marquette team has been better at home rather than on the road with regards to their defense. Marquette, they are giving up about 10.5 points fewer per run in possessions at home rather than in a roadside shoot court venue. does look like with what happened on Saturday. They're now about 50th in the country. Turns the points a lot on a per-possession basis, but Xavier, they are left in the dust a little bit. They're more on 119th with this regard, but I do like the versatility that you're starting to get out of this X-Men team as you've been able to get really good production with in that neighborhood about 19 points per contest out of Quincy Oliveri. Oliveri has been able to shoot from three-point range 44.5% from the outside, and then Desmond Claude he gives you three-and-a-half assists, four boards, 16 points per contest, and Davion McKnight, five assists, seal and a half, 12 points per contest. It's a Xavier team that overall, they're not the same team as they were a season ago with regards to their offense. They're shooting about 34.5% from three-point range, and Tyler Kulik, he's going to be the best player of the floor. 15 points, 7.5 assists. He has really been able to turn it on after there were some times in January where it was a little bit touch and go with him, but you've been able to get about two steals, about eight points per contest as well. Now to C.V. Mitchell. It is a Marquette team, though, that they're going to be at a disadvantage on the glass, other than Oso Ogadero, who's been able to give you seven boards, a block and a half per contest. You don't have anyone else on the roster that gives you north of 5.5 rebounds per game, and while Xavier, not the most dominant team on the glass. They are about 93rd in the country with regards to their rebound rate. I do think that that is going to allow Xavier to be able to do a solid job of folding in there. And then you have a Marquette team that they haven't necessarily been the world's greatest at being able to guard the three-point line as well. They're about 169th in all of college basketball now. They allow opponents to shoot 31.9% from three at home compared to the 35.5% in a roadside shoot court venue. But we've got a Xavier team that they're about 130th in the country with this regard. I do think that with Marquette being a little bit touch and go from three-point range, that's enough to be able to cash you the under and for Xavier to be able in there. Set my line at 9.5, so taking the 10 points with Xavier and did some my total 155.5. Also looking at the under. This is the last game on the normal Las Vegas betting board before we hit the X Games. This is 857-858. Nebraska is going to be playing us in Minnesota. Minnesota finds themselves as a 6.5-point underdog with your total 147. I did send Nebraska as a favorite of four points, so here on the 6.5, I'm going to be willing to take the points with Minnesota. I personally did not factor in the against the spread record at all. It didn't matter whether Minnesota was 23-3 against the spread or 3-23 against the spread. I would have came to the same conclusion on this one, and I really do like the way that Minnesota has been able to turn it on. I do think that Tawson Garcia is going to be able to match up really well with Rink Bass. With Rink Bass, he's been tremendous for Nebraska with about 13 points, 8 boards, 3 assists, very versatile at 6'10", popping threes at about 35 and percent clip, but Dawson Garcia gives you about 18 points. He's been able to throw in there about six half boards for a Minnesota team that they do shoot about 36% from three. Now, this is a Minnesota team that isn't quite the same when they're away from home rather than when they are at home. This Minnesota team, they average more than 10 points fewer per one hour possessions with regards to their offense when they're at home rather than in a roadside shoot court venue. And for Minnesota, they are giving up about 21 half points more per one hour possessions away from home rather than when they are at home, but they do face off against the Nebraska team as well outside the top one hour with regards to opponent's three-point shooting percentage, yeah, Nebraska has been a much better defense at home rather than away. They are giving up 93 points per 100 possessions at home, or like 106.5 points per 100 possessions away from home. Difference about 13.5 points per 100 possessions. And Casey Shomanaga, this guy just puts the ball in the basket. Now, I'd like to see him do something else. He doesn't give you any rebounds. He doesn't facilitate anything like that. But he gives you 14.5 points, and so he shoots 38% from three-point. And he's been on a burner recently. 17-plus points in four of the team's last five games. You've also been able to have guys in Bryce Williams, Jawan Gary. They've done a nice job of being able to supply the team with about 
four and a half points per contest. Gary is able to do a solid job being able to haul in there with about six boards per contest as well. And this is a Minnesota team that, with regards to the rebound rate, they're not terrible, but they're not great. Joseph Hall, like Joseph, is able to give you a few threes. He's able to throw in there about four to five rebounds per game for Minnesota. They're 66th in all of college basketball in terms of their rebound rate. We've got a Nebraska unit that is more around 156. So I do think that that is going to help this Minnesota team be able to hold in there. And then coupled with that, you've got Elijah Hawkins, who among power conference players, he is number one in terms of assists per game. He's done a nice job giving you about nine points per contest. Shoots about 37% from three points. I think that his overall effectiveness is going to allow Minnesota to be able to hang very lively in a game against a Nebraska team, which Rank Mass is right now leading the team in assists. And for Minnesota, certainly the defense has been a little bit of a concern. 70 plus points surrendered in each of the last four games, but they have gotten to at least 76 points in four straight games themselves. So, did some line at four. I'm going to be willing to take the points with Minnesota and did some I total at 146. I do think that with Minnesota being on the road, we're going to see a fall with regards to their defense in Nebraska. They've given up 70 points or fewer in each of their last three games. So, looking at the under and the points with Minnesota. Now we get the extra games. The normal betting board picks are complete, but there are some extra games today, so we go into the bonus. 306-619, Wagner is going to be playing us to Long Island. Long Island is an underdog of nine points with your total between 130 and a half and 131 with Long Island. I did set them as an underdog of 11 and a half points. I'm going to be willing to lay the number. Wagner has just been so good in terms of defense, and I like what Melvin Council has been able to bring to the table. He's done a nice job being able to supply the team with about 12 to 13 points per contest, and then Javier Square has been able to do a good job, give you about four assists per contest for a Wagner team that does shoot about 34% from three points. Wagner, they rank 93rd in all of college basketball in terms of points allowed on a per possession basis. Now, LIU has been a top one on team with regards to opponent's three-point shooting percentage, but they're 240th in the country in terms of points allowed on a per possession basis, and this LIU team just has not been effective on offense. 15 plus turnovers per game. They are 348th in terms of points scored on a per possession basis. Not to say that this Wagner team has been any sort of an amazing offense either at 311th, but Wagner has only turned the ball over about 10 times for contest. Meanwhile, you've got an LIU team that they do an okay job of being able to generate some turnovers, but they really rely upon the Strickland. Side Strickland is your top scorer, 14 points, two and a half assists, nearly two seals per contest, and then Terrell has been able to shoot 36% for three. He's really the only guy that's averaging north of five and a half points per contest. That shoots above 34.5% from three point range, throwing in there about 3.8 assists per contest. Has been in and out of the fold all season, though. He's been able to return and has been able to give you a bit of production, but this is also an LIU team that's well outside the top 225 with regards to rebound rate. RJ Green is the only guy on the roster that gives you north of 5.5 rebounds per game. Meanwhile, for this Wagner unit, it's been a little bit tough for them to be able to find consistent rebounding. This is never a team that necessarily has a ton of size. It's right now Council. I mentioned before, he's been your top rebounder with about 5.8 rebounds per game, but they do find themselves at about 218th in the country with regards to rebound rate, while LIU, they're more around 296th, and I do think that Wagner going to be able to put on a master class on defense. Last time these two teams played, you have to go back to really the month of January. Long Island, they won that game by kind of 69-67 to 67 on a day where they shot 8 of 23 from three-point range, and they were able to do a solid job playing nearly even up on the glass. I don't think that Lightning is going to strike twice, and I don't think that Nicola Japa, who was able to end that game, have a double-double. It's going to be able to duplicate that, especially after he played just 11 minutes in the last game. Might be dealing with a little bit of an ailment. So, I did set Wagner as an 11.5 point favorite. I think that they re- get revenge. I'm willing to lay the number. I did set my total at a 133.5. LIU, a top one on our team with regards to total possessions per game. I think speeds this up just as goes. Just they've gotten to at least 68 points in each other last five games. So, looking at the over and going to be one to lay of Wagner. 3-6-6-21, Boston U is playing us to Loyola, Maryland. Loyola, Maryland is an underdog of 7.5 points on this game. It is 130 to 130.5. I'm going to be opposite of our good friend Rob Donaldson. I'm going to be willing to lay it with Boston U. Boston U has been a really good
good defense. A top 100 team in terms of points allowed on a per percentage basis. At home, they allow opponents to shoot only about 32.5% from three points. Going up against a loyal Maryland team that has had all sorts of issues this season in terms of their defense. Loyal Maryland is about 275th in all of college basketball in terms of points allowed on a per possession basis. You've been able to have someone in D'Angelo Steins who's been able to help out, being able to give you about 10 points per contest to be able to take the load off of Deion Perry, which just feels like has had to become a little bit of a do-it-all player. He's able to give the team 15-plus points, four boards. He's been able to do a solid job, being able to give out a few assists as well. And then you do have Golden DK down low, who's been able to give you about seven boards per contest. But for Boston U, I do think that Otto Landrum is going to be able to do a nice job down low. This for a lo- loyal Maryland team that they're about 147th in the country with regards to rebound rate. Boston U, they're about 128th, so both of these teams are relatively equal with that regard, and with Boston U, it is a Osgar, and then some of its parts collective as you've got Miles Brewster, who's the only guy that gives you north of 9.5 points per contest throwing in there about 10.5 points per game, but he's been able to shoot about 42% from three-point range. You've now got Anthony Morales back in the fold as well, someone who was a nice ancillary scorer a season ago. He's up to about 9.5 points per game, and for Boston U, while they are outside the top 325, in terms of points scored on a per possession basis, I do think that them being back at home. It's going to be very paramount against the Loyal Maryland team that they themselves have not been able to find any consistency with their offense whatsoever with them turning the ball over nearly 15 times for contests. As a result, they're 339th in the country in terms of points scored on a per possession basis. And I do think that Boston U finds a way to be able to persevere and get the job done with their very solid defense and scoring about 11 points more for runner possessions at home rather than away from home. Did semi total at a 130 and a half here at the 130 that I'm seeing. I'm willing to go over and I'm willing to lay up to eight here with Boston. And you, 306-623-306-624. Bucknell is playing us Army. Army is an underdog of 4 to 4.5 four points. So your total on this game between 123.5 and, and 124. I did set Bucknell as a favorite of 6 points. I'm going to be willing to lay the number with the bracket bus and bison. It has been a up and down season for them, but Bucknell, they do have a much better offense than Army. And that's not saying much because Bucknell is 182nd in the country in terms of points scored on a per possession basis, but Army is just not able to find a way to put the ball in the basket. 343rd in the country in terms of points scored on a per possession basis. You've got Josh Govins, who's been able to supply the team with about 12 points per contest. And Army is out shooting above 30% from three-point range at about 32.3%, but they also shoot 58.5% at the free line. Army, to their credit, they've been a top 85 team in terms of points allowed on a per possession basis, but you've got a Bucknell team that has been able to do a pretty solid job in terms of their defense as well, giving up fewer than 65 points in two out of their last three games in regulation. And the Bucknell offense has been up and down, to say the least, as far as this season, but I've got much more faith in their top two scorers than any two scorers for Army, as you've got Noah Williamson along with Jack Force. We're combining for 29 points, 11 half boards, with Force shooting 38.5% for three. Williamson is a true seven footer, and for Bucknell, each of your top six scorers do shoot at least 70% at the free throw line as well. But able to have Elvin Edmonds chip in there about four and a half assists per game to be able to run some pretty efficient offense. And for Army, you just don't have a lot of facilitation with Ryan Curry having to try to run things. He's been able to give out about three assists per contest. And to the credit of Army, they've been able to win four of their last five games, but they have done so while scoring in regulation 68 points or fewer in every one of them. I do think that Bucknell is starting to find the rhythm under John Griffin. I do think that their top guys are going to be able to lead them to victory, which is why it did set Bucknell as a favorite of six points. And I do think that this is going to be sort of in that strike zone. For some late game felling, I did set my total 128, looking at the over, and I'm willing to lay with Bucknell. 3 of 6, 6, 25, 3 of 6, 6, 26. Navy is going to be playing us Holy Cross. Holy Cross is an underdog of 7.5 points, so it was between 134.5 and 135.5. I did set Navy as a favorite of 7.5 points, so going to be waiting on a little bit of movement here on a Navy team that may have been hot and cold 
with regards to their defense, and this was a number that it opened up more around six. And if we can get back to that six number, I'm going to be willing to lay it with Navy. They're a top 10 team in all of college basketball with regards to turnovers force on a per possession basis at home. Now, they do gamble for turnovers. As a result, they're about 190th in all of college basketball with regards to opponent's three point shooting percentage, but they go up against the Holy Cross team that, for one, they're really giving it up from three points, 359th in all of college basketball with regards to opponent's three point shooting percentage. And for two, it's not like they do an amazing job of being able to light you up from three as well. They are shooting as collective about 35% from three points. You've got a trio of guys, Joe Nugent, Bo Montgomery, Will Batchelor. These three guys have been able to combine for about 25 points per contest. Nugent has been your top three-point shooter with about 40% from the outside. And all of a sudden, you've got Khalil Singleton, who's been able to shoot 40% from three. He's a very hot and cold sort of scorer, though. He only gives you about four and a half points per contest, while Joe Octave has to do a little bit of everything. 14 points, six boards, only shoots about 30% from three-point range. And while the Navy team doesn't have a lot down low, they do have Donovan Draper, who's able to give you about two steals. He's throwing there eight boards per contest. And the best scorer in this game is going to be Austin Benjini. Benjini for the Navy team is able to give you about four assists. Doesn't shoot it well from three-point range, but is able to give you about 16.5 points per contest. Now, for Navy, they are also a bunch that shoots below 30% from three-point range. So, you've got a really bad three-point shooting defense in Holy Cross and a bad three-point shooting team in Navy. Something's got to give, but for Navy, this is a team that's getting quite a bit bludgeoned on the glass. We're in Navy second in all of college basketball with regards to rebound rate. Holy Cross, though, they're even worse. They're three or tenth in all of college basketball. So, I do think that with regards to this line, if we could get back to what we were seeing before with this number being more around a six to six half, I'm going to be willing to lay it with the Navy team that they do a nice job being able to slow things down. They've given up 70 points or fewer in three other last four games. Going up against the Holy Cross unit that they just have had an almighty time trying to score. They have scored 59 points or fewer in four of their last five games. So I'm going to be willing to lay it with Navy and I did set my total at a 133 and a half here at the 134 and a half. Diving in on the under and we wrap things up with 306-627-306-628. Colgate plays us to American. American is an underdog of 11 points with your total 132 and a half to 133. Did set my number at an 11 as well. So we're going to be waiting to see what we get in terms of movement. This was an opener of 11.5, and if we can get back to the 11.5, I'm going to be willing to take the points with American. Now, American has been rough with their defense. Outside the top 300 with regards to opponents' three-point shooting percentage, they've actually climbed a little bit in terms of just raw points allowed on a per-possession basis. They're now checking in more around 230th in all of college basketball, but for this Colgate team, they've really been able to do a nice job of being able to guard the arc themselves. Colgate, in terms of opponents' three-point shooting percentage, 23rd in all of college basketball. The opponents shooting 27.3% from three-point range against them. They're a top 75 team in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis, but I do think that American is really the best offense outside of Colgate in this conference, and I do think that they're going to be able to utilize their versatility with Mark Rogers being so dominant with about six half boards, 16 points per contest. He's saying six foot nine, and he's been able to shoot it at about a 36% clip from three-point range. American as a whole, they are shooting about 35.5% from three-point range. And last season, American, they were very good at being able to pop threes, but they were turning the ball over about 14 times for contest. The added maturity of Elijah Stevens, who's been able to give you five assists to so about two to two and a half turnovers per game, them being able to cut that down to about 11 turnovers per game, has been very paramount in Americans' success as far this season. They're a top 140 team with regards to points scored on a per possession basis, and they do have to go up against a Colgate team that they've got the most versatile player out there on the floor, and that would be 
Braden Smith, no relation to the gentleman that plays for Purdue. He's been very terrific with about 12.5 points, 6 assists, 5.5 rebounds. Only does shoot about 32.5% for 3 in Colgate. Over the last three years, they've been a top 10 team with regards to 3-point shooting percentage in every one of those years. They're still relatively solid. This Colgate bunch, they're still a top 55 team with regards to overall 3-point shooting percentage. They shoot 36.9% as a collective, so they're still doing a relatively solid job there, but it's just not the same as it has been in past years, and now they do have to face off against an American team that, honestly, they get a little bit of a boost with regards to just the overall versatility that they've got. They're going to be guarded by Keegan Records, who's able to give you about 11 points, 6 half boards. He's able to pop threes, but only about a 23.5% clip from him, and this is a Colgate team that, with regards to the way that they shoot at home, it is different than the, the way that they shoot on the road. 38.2% is what they hit from three-point range at home compared to about 35% away from home, but this has been a team that's been trying to mix and match with regards to some of their ancillary scores, with Nicholas Luis Jacquez being out the fold since late January. I know that Brady Cummins has been coming and going for this team. He has been able to get it back out there ever since he dealt with a little bit of an injury, but five points or fewer out of him in three of the last four games, and with American, they've been able to find some nice ancillary scores to be about, about like a George Bruce, Matt Mayock. These guys have been able to combine for about 17 points points per contest, both shoot 38% for three, so I do think that the overall depth for American is going to allow them to hold in there, and it's an American team that has been coming around with their defense, giving up 68 points of fear in each other last five games, so interesting circumstance here. I did sell my total 135. I think that these are the top two offenses in the Patriot League, so looking over and looking to take north of 11 here with America, and that will wrap things up for the Sunday edition of Coast to Coast Seeps, now I'm part of the Visa Family Podcast. If you do like hearing from this fine podcast, Coast Coast Soups, you're able to subscribe wherever you podcast, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, and TuneIn. If you have a question, comment, segment, idea, what I have for this podcast, you do have one of two ways to be able to this in. First one is my Twitter slash X timeline at GNN underscore D1. Keep in mind, letters M, they mean does not matter, size per usual. Please do send these into the timeline. And the other way, that is fine in Apple Podcasts review. If you rate this podcast five stars, it is very much appreciated. From there, you're able to fire on whatever you like there on this podcast. I that five star review. And a big thanks to Rob Donaldson. Does great work with the show slash podcast. Rob's best best show. You join me in the last segment. Coming at you guys every single day. Happy college basketball season. That means I'm coming at you once again tomorrow. Thank you so much for tuning in. I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take DC. We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Across Generations, where the voices of Black women unite. I'm your host, 
Tiffany Cross. Tiffany Cross. Join me and be a part of sisterhood, friendship, wisdom, and laughter. We gather a seasoned elder, myself as the middle generation, and a vibrant young soul for engaging intergenerational conversations, prepare to engage or hear perspectives that literally no one else has had. Listen to a Cross Generations podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 